Morning, everyone. So glad you're with us. It's a big day. It was a late night, and it's a very early morning for us. Yes, very. We're on early because there's so much to get in. So much. Not just last night. What's going to happen today in Absolutely. Georgia? Uh, Victor, thanks for being by my Good side. Let's start with five things to know for this Thursday, August 24th. So just hours from now, Donald Trump is expected to surrender at the Fulton County Jail in Georgia. This will be the fourth time he's turning himself in for arrest in a criminal case in just five months. This time, he faces charges for efforts to overturn Joe Biden's victory in Georgia. Trump's GOP rivals addressed his legal battles last night. At the first GOP primary debate, six of the eight candidates raised their hand when asked if they would still support Trump as the nominee if he's convicted. This morning, Vivek Ramaswamy finds himself in the spotlight. He was center stage last night and sparred with a lot of the candidates. Uh, some contentious exchanges on uh, some of the issues, including the war in Ukraine. Yeah, Nikki Haley challenging her rivals on abortion rights, clashing with former Vice President Mike Pence, arguing a federal, federal ban is not politically in the cards. And some new questions today about Wagner chief Yevgeny Prigozhin, presumed dead in a plane crash just two months after he led a rebellion against Russian President Vladimir Putin. New eyewitnesses, they're sharing accounts about what they saw and what they heard during that crash. CNN This Morning starts early, right now. <laughs> so we're going to get to the debate in a moment, but there was so much energy on that stage last night and Trump wasn't even there. There was a lot of energy and they didn't really get to Trump until maybe the midway An point. An hour in. Yeah. 9.58. I wasn't all right, counting okay. or anything. All right, yeah. um, we're going to get to all the highlights from the debate, the news that was made. We've got some of the candidates on the program this morning. We're mm -hmm. looking forward to that, but we begin with this. Just hours from now, Donald Trump will be arrested for the fourth time after being a no-show at last night's Republican presidential debate. Take a look. Before the sun comes up, these are live pictures of the Fulton County Jail, where the former president will surrender this evening on felony charges for trying to overturn his election loss in Georgia. At least half of Trump's 18 co-defendants have already turned themselves in, including his former lawyer, Rudy Giuliani. And Trump's absence loomed large over last night's debate in Milwaukee. Eight of his rivals battled for the spotlight without the front runner on the stage. The moderators referred to Trump as the elephant not in the room. Uh, one of the most contentious moments of the night came when the candidates were asked if they would support Trump as the Republican nominee, even if he's convicted. That's a key. We've got a lot to get to. Team coverage covering all the angles. We have correspondents on the ground and the debate. And at Fulton County Jail, our political analyst standing by. Let's start with our colleague Jessica, Dean in Milwaukee. Jess, good morning to you. Good morning, guys. Yes, of course, former President Donald Trump did kind of loom large over that debate stage last night. But importantly, they were able to talk about some policy. As you mentioned, they didn't even get to Trump really until halfway through. And those eight candidates on the debate stage really hoping it was their moment to break through. The race for the White House takes flight. Eight Republican presidential hopefuls taking the national stage in Milwaukee in their first primary debate. In the absence of former President Donald Trump, the party frontrunner, the fight for airtime was on. We need to send Joe Biden back to his basement. The truth is that Biden didn't do this to us. I'm the best prepared, the most tested, the most qualified and proven conservative in this race. Do you want a super PAC puppet? 
or do you want a patriot who speaks the truth? With the debate coming on the eve of Trump's fourth arrest this year, the candidates address the ongoing indictments and possible convictions. Would you still support him as your party's choice? Please raise your hand if you would. Whether or not you believe that the criminal charges are right or wrong, the conduct is beneath the office of President of the United States. Former Vice President Mike Pence did not hesitate to attack other party rivals. Former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley drawing from the same playbook. You have Ron DeSantis, you've got Tim Scott, you've got Mike Pence. They all voted to raise the debt. And Donald Trump added $8 trillion to our debt. And our kids are never going to forgive us for this. And we have to face the fact that Trump is the most disliked politician in America. We can't win a general election that way. But most flurries of attacks involved first-time candidate Vivek Ramaswamy, with the tech entrepreneur brawling with Pence, Haley, and former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie over experience, foreign policy, Trump, Ukraine, China, and more. Now is not the time for on-the-job training. We don't need to bring in a rookie. We don't need to bring in people without experience. The last person in one of these debates, Brett, who stood in the middle of the stage and said, what's a skinny guy with an odd last name doing up here, was Barack Obama, and I'm afraid we're dealing with the same type of amateur standing on stage tonight. The problem that Vivek doesn't understand is he wants to hand Ukraine to Russia. He wants to let China eat Taiwan. He wants to go and stop funding Israel. You don't do that to friends. You have no foreign policy experience and it shows. And you know what? On the issue of abortion rights, Pence and Haley clashed over the best way forward. Let's be honest with the American people and say it will take 60 Senate votes. It will take a majority of the House. So in order to do that, let's find consensus. Uh, to be honest with you, Nikki, you're my friend, but uh, consensus is the opposite of leadership. When the Supreme Court returned this question to the American people, they didn't just send it to the states only. It's not a states only issue. It's a moral issue. Now, the team for Florida Governor Ron DeSantis really set the stage before last night's debate, saying that they believed all these attacks would be coming at him, that he'd be taking the majority of the heat, Poppy and Victor. But as you saw in that story just there, it really was Vivek Ramaswamy who was getting a lot of those attacks, uh, not the Florida governor who consistently remains in second place across polling, both nationally and in most early states as well. Now, look today for these candidates to really try to maximize airtime and get as much bounce from this as possible before the former president really sucks up all the oxygen uh, by turning himself in in this fourth indictment later today. Victor yeah. and Poppy. Jessica Dean, thanks so much. All right, let's turn to that now. As we mentioned, a few hours from now, we're expecting former President Donald Trump to surrender at the Fulton County Jail in Georgia. Sources familiar with the details say that he plans to turn himself in tonight on the charges related to the efforts to overturn the 2020 election in the state. CNN's Nick Valencia is live outside the Fulton County Jail. Uh, walk us through what we are expecting. Yeah, good morning, Victor. It cannot be overstated enough. What will happen here later today in Atlanta is unprecedented, with the former president finding himself in criminal per uh, peril. When he walks through those doors later today at the Fulton County Jail, he'll be doing so for the first time as a guest. 
and a criminal defendant in this sprawling indictment. A historic moment set for today. Former President Donald Trump will surrender to authorities at the Fulton County Jail. He'll post a $200,000 bond, be processed, and possibly have his mugshot taken. This indictment is a travesty. Former New York City Mayor Rudy Giuliani not mincing words after his surrender. If this could happen Watch to me, who is probably the most prolific prosecutor, maybe in American history, and the most effective mayor for sure. It can happen to you. The former federal prosecutor even taking a shot at the Fulton County District Attorney. Fannie Willis will go down in American history as having conducted one of the worst attacks on the American Constitution ever when this case is dismissed. Giuliani was booked on 13 charges and bond was set for $150,000. Trump posting on Truth Social shortly after Giuliani's surrender. The greatest mayor in the history of New York City was just arrested in Atlanta, Georgia, because he fought for election integrity. The election was rigged and stolen. How sad for our country, MAGA. Along with Giuliani, two more of Trump's key election lawyers have also turned themselves in. Sidney Powell. President Trump won by a landslide. We are going to prove it. And Jenna Ellis. We want to make sure to protect election integrity. Both Powell and Ellis are facing charges related to the 2020 Georgia presidential election, including violating Georgia's anti-racketeering law. So far, nine of Trump's co-defendants have turned themselves in. And for two of them, former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows and ex-Justice Department official Jeffrey Clark, their efforts to avoid arrest or surrender have come to an end. U.S. District Court Judge Steve Jones rejecting both Meadows and Clark's emergency filings in two separate rulings to move their cases to federal court. Meadows argued that he should be allowed to avoid processing in Fulton County before his scheduled hearing Monday. The judge writing in his decision, the clear statutory language for removing a criminal prosecution does not support an injunction or temporary stay prohibiting District Attorney Willis's enforcement or execution of the arrest warrant against Meadows. Clark sought an emergency hold on the state court proceedings, including efforts to arrest any of the case's defendants who didn't turn themselves in by the Friday deadline. The process for Trump's surrender is expected to be brief and well shorter than most people who turn themselves in here to this jail. The sheriff here, Pat Labatt, is having to balance his pledge to treat all these defendants in this case the same, while also keeping order in his jail on this historic day. Victor, Poppy. Nick Valencia, force there outside the jail. Thank you. So on a debate stage full of experienced politicians, it was the new guy who took most of the heat, more on Vivek Ramaswamy's night in Milwaukee. That's ahead. Plus, the mercenary chief who led a march against Vladimir Putin, now presumed dead in a mysterious plane crash. We'll tell you what we know. I've had enough already tonight of a guy who sounds like ChatGPT standing up here. There you have it. You're watching. So you the reality make America is, less that you have no foreign me, policy experience, and it shows. And you know what? The, it the shows. Vivek, you recently said uh, a president can't do everything. Well, I got news for you, Vivek. I've been in the hallway. I've been in the West Wing. A president in the United States has to confront every crisis facing America. Vivek Ramaswamy, if the name is new to you, well, if it was new to you before last night, it's not new to yeah, you Yeah, you know it now. You know it now, taking hits from all sides.
figuratively and literally in Milwaukee. The newcomer was a surprise focal point at times on the debate stage full of experienced politicians. Let's talk about what happened last night. CNN senior political analyst and anchor John Avalon is here. Jessica Washington, senior reporter at The Root, joins us. Maura Gillespie served as the deputy chief of staff to Congressman Adam Kinzinger. Guys, thank you so much for being here. Avalon, I got to start with you. Well, I want to play something that I think you think and many people think was the moment of the night. Okay. Let's play it. This is Vivek Ramaswamy versus Nikki Haley. Look at what Putin did today. He killed Prigozhin. When I was at the UN, the Russian ambassador suddenly died. This guy is a murderer, and you are choosing a murderer over over a pro-American country. I think we have more. Don't we have more of that? All right. My point was when they go back and forth, and she says, "You're an experienced in foreign policy," and, and it, it shows. Mm-hmm. That I think was the big moment of the night. I think that was the best line of the night. Um, it double, I think Nikki Haley had the best debate of the night in terms of the expectations game. That's often how debates are judged. She came in. She'd been having trouble disenfranchising herself. She was strong on foreign policy. She was somebody who bridged the foreign policy of the Republican Party. And she went hard after Vivek on experience. And it really so left She has it. She's got it. You know, you an ambassador, former South Carolina governor, you an ambassador, and somebody who was not kind of tiptoeing around, you know, Vladimir Putin as Donald Trump did and as some of his acolytes do. So I thought that was a very great, strong moment from Nikki Haley last night. So he shared center stage with Governor DeSantis, but we heard more from him. He was, uh, I guess, the exclamation point at, at center stage. How do you think he did? I thought he was a character of a person, truly. I mean, he jumped in, he cut off people while they were talking, and he was factually incorrect on several things, but he just, again, he really did model himself after Trump, and that's what he was really going for. He's going for VP. It was very clear. And the cheers that he got was mostly because he said he was the greatest president of our time. And, and so I think, you know, pointing out some of these issues that he had or some of these, you know, falsities he had uh, is important because he really just became, again, a character of a person. What happened to Chris Christie last night? Yeah, that's a good question. I think Chris Christie, you know, it's difficult for him in this race because people see him a bit as a flip-flopper you know, with Donald Trump, was supporting him and now coming out against him so strongly. But what Christie did is say, you know, we have to take on Trump. He was one of the few people really to directly go after Trump, to go after January 6th, including Mike Pence, obviously. But you did see Christie say, I'm not going to support Trump, go after Trump in a way that the other candidates do seem afraid to do, even though Trump is at the top of the polls. Uh, counter, counterpoint on that. I thought Chris Christie had a good debate. You did. I do. I think his mm-hmm. personality showed. I think his pugilism showed. I think he's a happy Pugilism warrior. at Oh, five, yeah, early in the morning. 18 in the morning. A little boxing, <laughs> boxing. Look, you know, I, I, so I think actually, look, is he, is he sending a message that the base wants to hear? No. Does he have the courage of his convictions? Does that resonate authentic, authentically? Yes. And for what it's worth, the two former U.S. attorneys on the stage are the ones who have the courage to say that you know, Donald Trump you know, being indicted so many times for trying to overturn an election is a non-starter. But so, look, he's not, he's not trying to give people what they want. He's not pandering to the base. But I thought he was strong and engaging and had a good debate last night as a result. What about Ron DeSantis? I mean, he came into this as the highest polling person on the stage, still 30, 40 percent, depending upon which poll you check, behind the front runner. Did he do anything to, I guess, change the descent of his polling numbers or the stagnant uh, uh, status of his campaign? No, I think he just sort of skated by. I, I think he got some applause when he talked about COVID and the things he did in Florida. That's where he, he did shine. Otherwise, he was pretty, you know, non, 
essential, I would say, out there on the stage. But he really liked out when Vivek honestly made a fool of himself by plagiarizing Barack Obama, by incorrectly talking about, uh, you know, the American Revolution was won because of our Constitution, which, by the way, came 13 years later, mm -hmm. um, and then decided to say that we should go ahead and ban the Department of Education or get rid of it. I think that's... Uh, pretty telling, but he maybe needs an education there. So I think DeSantis really did uh, kind of luck out in the fact that what was supposed to be a DeSantis versus Vivek uh, ended up not panning but out. Weirdly disrespectful of DeSantis's status as the highest polling person on the stage mm -hmm. that he was sort of ignored. Now, I think he was able to use that to his benefit. He was able to stay in his lane, stick to his talking points, mm -hmm. um, but he didn't really break out and he wasn't rewarded with kind of the attention that typically a front right. runner on the stage would be. I agree. Abortion. They spent a fair amount of time talking about abortion, which is a key issue. You know, they should. It's a key issue for voters on, on both Republicans and Democrats and independents right now. I want you guys to listen to Nikki Haley and how she addressed this. Here she is. When it comes to a federal ban, let's be honest with the American people and say it will take 60 Senate votes. It will take a majority of the House. So in order to do that, let's find consensus. Can't we all agree that we should ban late-term abortions? Can't we all agree that we should encourage adoptions? Can't we all agree that doctors and nurses who don't believe in abortion shouldn't have to perform them? Can't we all agree that contraception should be available? And can't we all agree that we are not going to put a woman in jail or give her the death penalty if she gets an abortion. Let's treat this like the like a respectful issue that it is and humanize the situation and stop demonizing the situation. Um, just she also talked about her personal experience, her husband being adopted, her uh, difficulty uh, getting pregnant with her two children. So she personalized it. And then she also talked about the reality of the votes not being there in the Senate. Was that a win for her? I think so, because she's walking this tightrope. I mean, for one thing, we know that abortion is becoming more and more popular with Americans, particularly as they're seeing those rights go away. So coming out super strong and being this boogeyman for not just the left, but moderates as well, I'm going to take away your abortion rights nationwide. It's not a strategy that's going to win you over the entire country. So she's saying, OK, I'm going to make this personal. I'm going to say, let's not go after women. I'm not this boogeyman you need to be afraid of. But she also is running in a Republican primary, so she can't say, you know, I'm not going to do anything about abortion. And these are her strongly held beliefs. It's also not just pandering to a base, it seems. Yeah, and, and I think that's, that's why that moment takes courage. I don't think she's walking a, a, a line. She said, look, she planted a flag in terms of what she believes on abortion. Not necessarily, not popular with the crowd, not the easy thing to do. But that's how we get to something resembling a national consensus. The outlines she put together... In, in that in that riff. And so I thought it was enormously effective. It actually anticipated a general election. And another, yet another reason I thought Nikki Haley had one of the best debates last night. Yeah, the Pence counter was that it takes leadership. She says leadership and votes. You just don't have the numbers right. to pass a ban, even if you want to. All right, John, Jessica, Mara, thank you all. So this mysterious plane crash and the presumed death of a high-profile Putin foe. We are live with the latest on Yevgeny Prigozhin. And a new court decision just a short time ago on an American journalist being held in Russia. More CNN This Morning to come after the break. Welcome back. New this morning, our first daylight look at the scene of the plane crash. It purportedly killed mercenary boss Evgeny Prigozhin in Russia. This is the debris field just outside Moscow. It stretches for more than a mile. An eyewitness now also speaking out. Listen to this. I heard an explosion or a bang. Usually, if an explosion happens on the ground, then you get an echo. 
but it was just a bang, and I looked up and saw white smoke. One wing flew off in one direction, and the fuselage went like that, and then it glided down on one wing. It didn't nosedive, it was gliding. I was afraid it would fall into the village. So Russian state media reports, and there's a, there are those images for you, that all 10 people on board were killed. So far, we should note only eight bodies have been found. Our Nick Payton Walsh is live in Zaporizhia, Ukraine. Obviously, Nick, this is striking news, given who Yevgeny Prigozhin is and what he did just a few months ago. What do you know this morning? Yeah, let's just recap for viewers why Yevgeny Prigozhin is so important. This is the man who headed the Wagner Group, a close confidant of Putin, used by Putin to interfere in U.S. elections, spread Russia's influence across Africa, and most importantly, fighting on some of the nastiest front lines with some of the nastiest tactics, frankly, here in Ukraine. This plane crash, startling, a catastrophic event appears to have hit this private jet that contained pretty much most of the top elite of the Wagner Group including Prigozhin himself, according to Russian officials. You heard the eyewitness there. Now we are hearing that uh, Russian forensic scientists whose cars were seen at the scene there have now arrived at the forensic bureau in Tver, where this indeed occurred. That is part of Russia now piecing together what they will present as an evidence chain as to what's happened here. Big caveat, we are dependent entirely upon Russian state media, Russian officials, for telling us the fate of Yevgeny Prigozhin. Why is that important? Well, this is the man that led an armed rebellion exactly two months ago against Vladimir Putin, essentially criticizing how the war was fought, but he ended up spiraling into a chain of events where he essentially was confronting Putin directly. And the biggest challenge Putin had in his 23 years in power, a deal caused that armed rebellion to stop, but Prigozhin was somehow miraculously still at liberty for two months. This plane crash ends that question as to what was to happen for Prigozhin next. Potentially, we don't have final confirmation he was on board. We may never get it. We may always be reliant upon Russian officials for that. Poppy? I mean, that's what's so striking, that we very well, Nick, may never have direct answers to his death and also what, whether this was intentional. Yeah, absolutely. Look, you know, people are already saying this was Vladimir Putin's revenge. People in here in Ukraine are sort of salivating at the uh, yeah. Russian elite turning on themselves yet again. Uh, there are Russian analysts saying, look, this isn't a sign that Putin's suddenly strong. He felt the need potentially to kill that man, despite the threat allegedly having subsided. And so, yeah, look, whatever the truth of this matter, and it's pretty unlikely, frankly, that this top-end private jet containing all of Prigozhin's inner henchmen suddenly fell out of the sky for no reason. There's likely there's some other reason behind that. Fundamentally, we are looking here at the Kremlin elite still trying to take each other out and Prigozhin no longer part of that equation, Poppy. Just absolutely stunning. Nick Payton Walsh, thank you for the reporting in the background. Appreciate it. Also happening in Russia this morning, a Moscow court has extended Wall Street Journal reporter Evan Gershkovich's detention. He appeared before a judge a short time ago and that judge ruled to extend his pretrial detention until November 30th. The 31-year-old faces 20 years behind bars on espionage charges, which he and his employer have vehemently denied. CNN's Claire Sebastian joins us live with more. Um, if we look at the trend of, of Americans who are held in uh, Russia, was this an inevitable outcome of this hearing? 
I mean, I think, yeah, the hearing was basically a formality at this point. Uh, Victor, he had already had his pretrial detention extended in May, so the fact that they did it again uh, was hardly a surprise, and especially given the political climate in Russia, given the worsening relations with the United States, and given the fact that, of course, the elephant in the room here is that Evan Gershkovich uh, is potentially a high-value swap uh, for Russia uh, in terms of a, a prisoner swap. I think, look, it's clear now that there is a long road ahead for, uh, for Evan Gershkovich. This pre-trial detention now stretches to November 30th. It could be extended beyond that. Both Paul Whelan uh, and Trevor Reed spent more than a year in pre-trial detention. Then you get to a trial, which on espionage charges is likely to be long uh, in itself. And both precedent and, in fact, comments from the Russian Foreign Ministry would suggest that Russia will want this trial to play out before any discussions on a prisoner swap can be held. Victor? Claire Sebastian for us there. Thank you. So next, the debate question that produced this awkward show of hands. Can you tell what everyone's saying even in the, on the stage last night in Milwaukee? We'll talk about it ahead. Yeah, one of the candidates with his hand in the air, former Vice President Mike Pence, will join us live. Someone's got to stop normalizing this conduct, okay? Now, and now whether or not whether or not you believe that the criminal charges are right or wrong, the conduct is beneath the office of President of the United States. And, and, and you know, this is the great thing about this country. Booing is allowed, but it doesn't change the truth. It doesn't change the truth. Real-time analysis of how the crowd felt there when Chris Christie was saying that. That was former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie hit with those boos following his response on whether he would still support Trump if he wins a Republican primary. Meantime, in just a few hours from now, the former president will turn himself into the Fulton County Jail after being indicted for the fourth time, this one in the Georgia election subversion case. Joining us now, CNN legal analyst, former U.S. attorney in the Middle District of Georgia, Michael Moore joins us at the table along with the rest of our crew this morning. Michael, just talk to us about, I just, we say it. It's not one arrest. It's not two arrests. It's not three. It is four in five months. And that is the contrast image people will see later today to the others on the debate stage. And Chris Christie saying, you just can't do this as someone running for president. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a good point. Uh, and I'm glad to be with you. The, the, the issue, I, I think, at the end of the day is, you know, it's not hurting him all in, in, in the polls, but it's an unprecedented time to see a president and former president uh, charged and, and arrested time after time. And he's being charged with conduct, by and large, that happened while he was a sitting president of the United States. And so while impeachment may not have worked, and that's typically the avenue you think about it, the prosecutors have now decided they're going to move forward on criminal cases, both in the federal court and the state court system. So um, you know, I, I think the coming case is probably the most complex case that's out the there, the Georgia case. Georgia case. Um, but I also think that the reality is we won't see it until well after the election. Uh, and so people have to make up their mind. Do you think we'll see any of them? I don't think so. Mm. I think so. I think there are so many unique constitutional challenges that will come into play. Uh, you'll be talking about things like presidential immunity and executive privilege and uh, the, the presidential powers to declassify documents and all of those things will be coming into play, and they're going to have to wind their way ultimately through some appellate courts before we get to a trial. So I think what Christie's saying is right in that the conduct itself, whether it's proven that he did it, 
uh, under the criminal scheme and whether or not they can prove beyond a reasonable doubt and convince 12 jurors in, in one or all of these cases um, that uh, he's guilty, the, the conduct, what happened, uh, is, is where I think Christie is trying to hit, and, and we'll see if it resonates. I mean, it, it obviously has not thus far. Uh, I think that you've seen that, that the indictments have been in some strange, almost perverted way, uh, a, a boom yeah. to, to Trump as he's gone through. John, when we were sitting here yesterday, the question was, would there be uh, substantive discussion of the issues during the debate mm -hmm. uh, beyond just talking about Trump and the indictments? Do you think, because at some point, Brett Baer says, we now need to move on after yeah. maybe 10 or 15 minutes. Do you think they talked about it enough last night? Hmm. That's a great question. And I think counterintuitively, the answer is no. Uh, there wasn't sufficient follow-up, for example, when there was the raise hand or half-raise hand about whether you would support uh, Donald Trump uh, for the nomination if he were convicted, um, which is you know, a, a pretty significant caveat. And here's where I think we need to you know, reality check this entire debate. Mm -hmm. um, we are, Chris Christie's right. The Republican Party right now is normalizing 91 counts against a you know, former president for actions he made as president. If you can't condemn a sitting president, former president, for trying to overturn an election to stay in power, what is disqualifying? What, what is disqualifying? And, and, you know, yes, there's negative partisanship is causing some Republicans right now, primary voters, to rally around Trump in the immediate wake of this. But the idea that it's a net positive in a general election, the idea that it's going to even help him in a primary ultimately, the idea that it's going to, you know, turn independent voters towards him is just blatantly, transparently nonsense. Uh, and, and so staying focused on that rather than trying to find ways to rationalize a president having an unprecedented abuse of power that threatens our very democracy, mm -hmm. that's the issue that we should be focused on. I don't think enough was done it, to press This that. was an area where most of them on the stage actually did come together in support of Mike Pence. Mm -hmm. Yes, let's, that's right. Let's play some of that for you. Do you believe that Mike Pence did the right thing on January 6th? So here's what we need to do. We need to end the weaponization of these federal agents. But that's not, I will do that. that's not the question. Here, I, I know, but here's the thing. This the election <laughs> is not about January 6th of 2021. It's about January 20th of 2025, when the next president is going to take office. I think the American people deserve to know whether everyone on this stage agrees that I kept my oath to the Constitution that day. There's we, no we, more important duty. So, so answer the question. Yeah. Thing. I've, I've answered this before. So yes. No, why are we, he, Mike, Mike did his duty. I got no beef with him, but here's the thing. Is this <laughs> what we're gonna be focusing on? Mike Pence stood for the Constitution and he deserves not grudging credit. He deserves our thanks as Americans. I do think that Vice President Pence did the right thing. And I do think that we need to give him credit for that. And then Tim Scott really directly said, absolutely, he did the right thing. What did that moment tell you? Yeah, I think, and I hate, I hate saying this tightrope thing, but people do not want to come directly after Trump. But what happened on January 6th did, it affected, I think, the American psyche. I think what people saw and what they witnessed and the attacks on Mike Pence, the threats to his life, the threats to the lives of the other congressmen, I do think these Republicans on stage know that what happened not only was wrong, but also the need to defend Mike Pence in this exact moment, for the most part. Most of those people on that stage, I do think, believe that maybe deeply, but also understand politically this is important for the American public. So the people on the stage agree that he did the right thing, but he's been heckled as he's out campaigning. Does that endorsement um, add to, lead to any support among the base? 
Now, when you still have people like Donald Trump who are saying that he could have done something and people in the far right media who are still saying that Pence could have done something to stop the election. So they're perpetuating this attack on Mike Pence. And you're not necessarily going to win over those people by being common sense on the stage. So I think it's smart that the candidates up there were supporting Mike Pence and they should be. But it doesn't mean it's going to change what the far right you know, voters are going to say. It's also the right thing to do. Mm. You know, Mike Pence did the right thing unquestionably. He deserves enormous credit for that. Great movie. And, and, and the fact, Do the right thing. <laughs> yeah. And, and, the, and the fact that I think the vast majority of candidates up there didn't shimmy around that, but simply mm-hmm. said, yes, he did the right thing by our country, by our Constitution, which has the added advantage of being true, that's good. He got the most time. Wasn't that interesting? Yeah. Yeah. And I think the most passionate response from him was on Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Yes, he defended spending more money, continuing to support Ukraine. But if you look at the polls, especially for Republican voters specifically, 71 percent do not support yeah. sending more money. Again, this is one of those instances in which he thinks he's doing the right thing, just may not play well with the base. But there you saw a very substantive debate about policy on the stage. And you had people like Nikki Haley and Mike Pence and Chris Christie making moral cases for the importance of standing by Ukraine against Russian you know, aggression. And then you had some candidates who were trying to be Trump light trying to sort of say, well, it's not really our fight, you know, and, and playing sort of footsie with, with that isolationist right. impulse. But they also made the case for why it matters to Americans. And I think that's really yeah. where they that's targeted right. the voters, right? They were able to appeal to them by saying, here's why it should matter to you. Here's the impact that mm-hmm. the fall of Ukraine has on us as a nation, us as a society, um, and on the global stage, obviously, as well. All right. Everybody stay here. We will hear from the voters who watched the debate. Uh, what did they see last night in Milwaukee? 15 people, looks like 14, 13 raised their hand. YouTube did not think it was good for the party. So Republican voters, primary voters, got a chance last night to hear from eight candidates who hope to become the next commander in chief. We all got a chance to hear from them. The White House hopefuls faced off on a range of topics from the economy to abortion to Ukraine without former President Trump on the stage. Gary Tuckman, I always love his pieces. When he speaks to voters, so he spoke to Iowa conservative voters to see if there was a clear winner in the debate. Watch. In the small city of Nevada, Iowa, county seat of Story County, we watched the first GOP presidential debate with 15 loyal Republicans who live in the county. Eight Republican candidates have qualified and have chosen to be here on our debate stage tonight. And after it was all over, we asked this. Do you think this debate was good for the Republican Party? Raise your hand if you do. 15 people, looks like 14, 13 raised their hand. You two did not think it was good for the party? No. Why why not, Jim? It brought up a lot more division and stuff, but I still think it, it was work. It was worth the time. Okay, you thought it was good for the party, though. Yes, it was great for the party. Great to have a conversation with uh, Iowans and people across the United States to see who our next leader will be for the Republican Party. Okay, of these 15 people, 14 say they're still undecided at this point. Jim, who we just talked to, is the only one who's not. He says he's ready to vote for Trump right now. And here's what I want to ask you about. Who you thought did the best during this debate? Basically, who do you think won the debate? I'm going to do it in alphabetical order, to be fair. Anyone think Doug Burgum did the best? That's zero. Anyone think Chris Christie did the best? He certainly got most of the airtime. A lot of the airtime, not most of the airtime. How about Ron DeSantis? How many of you think Ron DeSantis did the best? That's two people. How about Nikki Haley? One, two, three, four people. Asa Hutchinson? Mike Pence? Zero. Vivek Ramaswamy? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Tim Scott? 
Okay, so this panel here thinks Ramaswamy won the debate. One reason those seven Republicans feel that way? I really appreciated it during his closing statements um, when he said, there are two genders, God is real. He made sure to put those out there and made them very clear. And one of the reasons Nikki Haley was the runner-up. She came across as poised and confident, prepared, and I think uh, out of the candidates, I think she helped herself the most tonight. The candidate who has spoken out the most against Donald Trump, Chris Christie, received no traction here. He was just argumentative, pretty much, and um, out after Trump. You don't think there was any logic to what he said, though? I think it was a lot of revenge. Some here feel Trump hurt himself by not being at this debate. Most, though, feel he benefited by being absent. I think he helped himself just because he wasn't able to um, say anything that people would use against him in the general election. 15 Iowa Republicans who will all be caucusing less than five months from now. Poppy Victor with all the presidential candidates constantly crisscrossing Iowa. It is very easy for residents of the Hawkeye State to see a presidential candidate in person. As a matter of fact, of the 15 people on our panel, every one of them tells us they've seen at least one of the Republican candidates in person. And some of these people here tell us that they've seen in person all eight of the people who are on stage Wednesday night. Poppy, Victor. All right, back with our panel now. Uh, and uh, Jessica, let me start with you, Vivek Ramaswamy. Seven uh, of those, uh, as you, know, you say he had a bad night, the voters think differently. I'm not shocked. I mean, he took up airtime. He was someone that people probably didn't know going in. Maybe some of them did. And they kept hearing from him over and over again. I think when everyone attacks you, you appear like the front runner. And so I do understand. And then he also acted almost as a Trump surrogate, saying not only defending the president time and time again, but also repeating his lines. So I'm not surprised that people like that, especially in the absence of the president on the stage, the former president on the stage. He's amplifying a lot of a lot of conservative media talking points, and that that creates its own feedback loop. But look, Nikki Haley did pretty well in yeah. that hand, hand raise as well. And she's been someone who's been having a tough time getting traction. So I think that that was notable as well. And good to see, too. I mean, she deserved to have those hands raised by those Iowa voters. She was poised and she was well prepared. And she really did appeal to the human side of things, especially when she talked about abortion, but other issues, too, about Ukraine. And I, I was really impressed by her. She was probably my takeaway. Michael, uh, one element here that uh, got a lot of reaction uh, in the room was when it was the show of hands question about who would pardon uh, right. President, former President Trump if he's convicted Vivek Ramaswamy raised his hand high, and, and that worked well. As we said, he also said he was the greatest president in the 21st century, so it works well in a Trump And then Pence role. just explained how a pardon actually works, because yeah. he's done them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I think there was a lot of red meat thrown out by Ramaswamy to the base. I mean, plus he's a great salesman. I mean, he's just a pitch guy, and he's got these lines like burn coal, you know, use gas, and this kind of thing. And so saying that he'd pardon Trump is just what his people want to hear. I mean, he was about God's guns, gas, coal, and... And, 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 that, and the truth is, at the end of the debate, I, I think that the, the, benef the, the benefactor was Trump. Uh, mm. uh, by not being there, he just benefits from the chaos that we saw last night. But, but to say that you're going to pardon Trump, that means that Trump would then have to accept the guilt. And well, then you're saying he'd be convicted, right? convicted first. Which so there's Pence a cool step out. Right, Pence pointed out. But then to go even a step further, by saying that you're going to offer him a pardon, it then means that you also agree that he's guilty, and then he has to accept it by saying that he is guilty. Yeah. So if you really think through that, is that the best also, approach? <laughs> also, trying to overturn an election to stay into power is somehow it's, legitimate. It's been normalized. It's normalized, right. yeah. Right. Lest we forget. Everybody, thank you. Uh, we have uh, a lot more to talk about <laughs> from last night's uh, debate. Uh, we'll uh, see you in just a bit. 
Some of the candidates were on that stage are also going to join us this morning. We're looking forward to being joined by former Governor Chris Christie. He joins us ahead. And also ahead, uh, we are live at the Fulton County Jail in Georgia, where former President Trump is expected to surrender right there in a matter of hours. More CNN This Morning to come after the break. Morning, everyone. Top of the hour. Glad you're with us because it is a big day. Glad to have Victor Blackwell by my side. And we're I'm glad to be here. Almost all night watching that debate. Took a 90-minute nap. <laughs> That's but we're a here. good one. Uh, we got a lot to get to. Let's start with five things to know for this Thursday, August 24th. Just hours from now, Donald Trump expected to surrender at the Fulton County Jail in Georgia. This will be the fourth time he's turning himself in to be arrested in five months. This time, he faces charges for efforts to overturn Joe Biden's victory in Georgia. Trump's GOP rivals addressed his legal battles last night at the first GOP primary debate. Six of the eight candidates raised their hand when they were asked if they would still support Trump as the nominee, even if he's convicted. This morning, Vivek Ramaswamy finds himself in the spotlight. He was the center of attention at center stage last night, sparred with a lot of the candidates, some contentious exchanges on issues, including the war in Ukraine. Nikki Haley challenging her rivals on abortion rights, clashing with former Vice President Mike Pence and arguing a federal abortion ban is just not politically realistic. And there are new questions today about Wagner chief Yevgeny Prigozhin, presumed dead in a plane crash just two months after he led a rebellion against Russian President Vladimir Putin. New eyewitnesses are sharing accounts about what they saw and what they heard during that crash. CNN This Morning starts right now. So the debate last night was not a lot about Trump, but today you're going to see, probably see, there's going to be a lot of coverage of Trump. Well, that was strategic on his part, knowing that he could cut that news cycle by turning himself in today. What a split screen it will be when just hours from now, former President Trump will be arrested for the fourth time after he skipped last night's Republican primary presidential debate. Sources tell CNN Trump is planning to turn himself in tonight at the Fulton County Jail and face felony charges for trying to overturn his election loss in Georgia. What we know this morning, at least half of Trump's 18 co-defendants have already surrendered. That includes Rudy Giuliani. Here are the mug shots so far. The deadline to surrender is noon tomorrow. And although he was not there last night, Trump still loomed large over the first Republican presidential debate. Happened in Milwaukee. At one point, the moderators asked his eight rivals if they would still support Trump as the GOP nominee if he's convicted. You hear that? The audience cheered when several of the candidates raised their hands, including Ron DeSantis and Mike Pence. Jessica Dean is live up early for us in Milwaukee. So one of the debate (laughs) moderators uh, referred to uh, the former president you know the time, 58 minutes into... 9.58. 58 minutes into the debate as the elephant not in the room. Yes, that's right. Poppy is so precise with that time. It's perfect, but it really illustrates that they did get to some other things. They did actually get to talk about policies and where they're different. But Victor, to your point, he was the elephant not in the room. Of course, he's going to face his, uh, he's going to turn himself in for his fourth indictment in just the last several months. And all of these candidates, these eight candidates on stage who are all pulling behind him, uh, the closest by some 20 points, double digits for sure, were hoping this was their breakout moment. The race for the White House takes flight. 
eight Republican presidential hopefuls taking the national stage in Milwaukee in their first primary debate. In the absence of former President Donald Trump, the party frontrunner, the fight for airtime was on. We need to send Joe Biden back to his basement. The truth is that Biden didn't do this to us. I'm the best prepared, the most tested, the most qualified and proven conservative in this race. Do you want a super PAC puppet? Or do you want a patriot who speaks the truth? With the debate coming on the eve of Trump's fourth arrest this year, the candidates addressed the ongoing indictments and possible convictions. Would you still support him as your party's choice? Please raise your hand if you would. Whether or not you believe that the criminal charges are right or wrong, the conduct is beneath the office of President of the United States. Former Vice President Mike Pence did not hesitate to attack other party rivals. Former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley drawing from the same playbook. You have Ron DeSantis, you've got Tim Scott, you've got Mike Pence. They all voted to raise the debt. And Donald Trump added $8 trillion to our debt. And our kids are never going to forgive us for this. And we have to face the fact that Trump is the most disliked politician in America. We can't win a general election that way. But most flurries of attacks involved first-time candidate Vivek Ramaswamy, with the tech entrepreneur brawling with Pence, Haley, and former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie over experience, foreign policy, Trump, Ukraine, China, and more. Now is not the time for on-the-job training. We don't need to bring in a rookie. We don't need to bring in people without experience. The last person in one of these debates, Brett, who stood in the middle of the stage and said, what's a skinny guy with an odd last name doing up here, was Barack Obama, and I'm afraid we're dealing with the same type of amateur standing on stage tonight. The problem that Vivek doesn't understand is he wants to hand Ukraine to Russia. He wants to let China eat Taiwan. He wants to go and stop funding Israel. You don't do that to friends. You have no foreign policy experience and it shows. And you know what? On the issue of abortion rights, Pence and Haley clashed over the best way forward. Let's be honest with the American people and say it will take 60 Senate votes. It will take a majority of the House. So in order to do that, let's find consensus. Uh, To be honest with you, Nikki, you're my friend, but uh, consensus is the opposite of leadership. When the Supreme Court returned this question to the American people, they didn't just send it to the states only. It's not a states only issue. It's a moral issue. One interesting thing to note Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, his team really set the stage before last debate, the last night's debate, saying that he was going to be the one taking all of this incoming because of his second place standing in the polling, Victor and Poppy. But really, you saw it in the story there that we just aired. It was Vivek Ramaswamy who took so much of the heat. DeSantis was really allowed to kind of stick to his message and what he wanted to talk about and other and really stay in his lane, not have to get out of that or take a lot of those attacks. Now, also look for these candidates to maximize as much of this news cycle as possible. Uh, They're really going to try to get in on this before the former president, as he often does, takes back the oxygen when he turns himself in later today. No question about it. Jessica Dean, thank you for the report.
All right, the table is full. CNN political commentator and former lieutenant governor of Georgia, Jeff Duncan, CNN senior political analyst and anchor John Avlon, Jessica Washington, senior reporter at The Root, and Mara Gillespie, who served as the deputy chief of staff to Congressman Adam Kinzinger, all with us. Uh, Jeff, you're new to the table. I want to start with you. Big picture, who had the best night? I think Nikki Haley had the best night, right? I think going into this, I was looking to see who was going to be the adult in the room, right? Donald Trump wasn't going to be there. So you had a chance to build your own brand. And I think she did a really good job of sending a, a strong, articulate message as to why she should be uh, the, the nominee. And she was able to push back on Donald Trump in the appropriate manner and not kind of this overly over-the-top method. And she also articulated some really interesting policy decisions. Well, they're so far behind, though, right? They're in the single digits, most of them. Is this enough to, I guess, realign the huddle? Uh, of those who are so far behind Trump? Well, I certainly hope so. Uh, but, you know, I think at the, at the end of the day, there was three truths going into this debate. One is Donald Trump's in the lead. Two, Joe Biden is easily beatable. And three, there's 50 million Republicans that are still o open for, mm -hmm. for, for, for grabs. And so you have to aim your targets at that 50 million. You know what I kept thinking about, John, last night? I kept thinking about the general election debates. Mm -hmm. And I kept thinking about each one of them versus Biden. And I kept thinking about a lot of energy coming from a lot of them and what that will look like. That's what you should be thinking about, because that's the rational process of analyzing a primary. Who's the best general election candidate? Who's best projected to, to win? And I, look, I, I agree with Jeff. I think Nikki Haley had the best debate last night by far in terms of exceeding expectations. I thought Chris Christie and Mike Pence were both crisp and they didn't play to the base, but they really did say, look, this is where I stand. And I think that itself is compelling uh, to, to voters. Um, I think DeSantis didn't have a, a breakout moment, despite the fact he was center stage. Did not want people raising their hands. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. It's not kindergarten, he said. Not, it's not yeah. kindergarten. Which is which is attempt to sort of get out of that. that. And, and I thought Tim Scott, who's had a lot of goodwill and momentum, remember, especially in Iowa, because this is a state-by-state -state race, ultimately, did not have that kind of breakout moment that he, he really needed last Was time. he too polite? I don't know that that was the sin, but I, 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 he didn't elbow his way into the conversation yeah. as much. Yeah, he was uh, third from the bottom on the ranking of those who spoke. Yeah. I mean, just ahead yeah. of Burgum and That's Hutchinson, right. who barely got onto the mm -hmm. stage. Mm -hmm. um, so if we look at uh, the question of Donald Trump and his decision not to participate, was there anything last night that you saw that said he should reconsider that for the September debate? He should just as far as supporting the voters. But politically. And politically, Donald Trump's going to do what he wants to do, right? He thought that he had the best chance of taking back the attention, taking the oxygen out of the room by having his one-on-one, -on -one where if anyone watched it, I don't know if anyone watched the Tucker Carlson-Trump conversation, it was all backward-looking. I mean, he just solely focuses on what happened in the past. He has nothing to present to the American people as, far as, as a forward-looking approach or any policies. So quite frankly, he probably wouldn't want to be able to, wouldn't want to take on those tough questions uh, so no, I don't see he's. I don't see him looking at the last night's debate and thinking, "Oh, I could have really shined there," in in terms of substance, mm -hmm. in terms of throwing jabs and elbows and inching his way into the conversation and just saying no and false like Vivek did. Yeah, you can do that. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I do think politically not being there makes sense for him. He's the front runner by so much. And instead, and he wants to kind of almost come into this as I am the president running. That's kind of how what he's trying to do there. And so by not showing up, he's saying I am, you know, too above this system. And I do think it it might work politically for him. It's like a Rose Garden indictment strategy is what you're saying. <laughs> but, but Victor, you asked, you know, is this too early? Is this is this, or is it too late rather yeah. uh, to, to reshuffle this primary field? Absolutely not. 
This is the first debate. And I think you'll see actually a lot of recalibrations in rising fortunes and falling fortunes as a result of last night. Mm -hmm. um, so no, it's not, not too late at all. This is just the beginning. So let's listen to, uh, you mentioned going after the president, President Biden. Here is uh, a bit of what we heard from the candidates last night on that. I understand why America's hurting. Biden's inflation is choking us. Our nation is in trouble. And it's in trouble because of failed leadership. And the solution is not four more years of Joseph Biden. Joe Biden has weakened America at home and abroad. We will send Joe Biden back to his basement and we will reverse the decline of this country. Joe Biden's Bidenomics has led to the loss of $10,000 of spending power for the average family. Jeff, if you're looking for the lines that last, uh, the ones that people likely will be talking about today were about each other, about Vivek, about Chris Christie, about the, the back and forth between uh, Haley and, and uh, Ramaswamy. Does that hit what it needs to hit? Well, going back to John's earlier point, we have to think about winning a general, right? And mm -hmm. so we can't have a Herschel Walker moment like we had in Georgia, <laughs> where, where you, you nominate the perfect primary candidate to then run into the absolute buzzsaw and have the only two Democrats in statewide offices be in Senate seats because of because of that that issue. But you're not, not sure you're not bitter at all. No, no, no. no it's not. been a minute since I heard a Herschel yeah. Walker reference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me too. <laughs> a little, a little <laughs> yeah. But 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 the point is, I, I mean, I think Joe Biden's beatable, and that's not just because I'm a Republican. He's beatable yeah. because the polling says that under 40 percent support. You know, there's nobody on either side of the aisle that can explain really some of these policies and conversations that he's having. And he's 80 years old, going on 90 years old, and so that's an issue for Democrats to defend. Sure. And unless we take that argument to them, we're going to lose. And, and this, is, this should be a winnable period of time for us. But, but to, to your, your macro point, it's also about a general election, right? And right now they're making arguments against Biden that are, uh, resonate with a primary base, but need to have credibility with a general electorate, with independent voters, with moderate voters, swing voters and swing states, folks. That's what's going to come down to. And so you've got to have a reality-based debate, not a right-wing echo chamber debate. Absolutely. All right. Thank you all. Thanks, of course, guys. we'll keep talking. Donald Trump will surrender later today. We're going to take it live to the Fulton County Jail to talk about how this is actually going to happen once the sun comes up there. And the mercenary leader who launched a rebellion in Russia is now presumed dead after a mysterious plane crash near Moscow. What an eyewitness saw and heard as that jet fell out of the sky. More CNN This Morning to come after the break. I got indicted four times. All trivia, nonsense, bull****. It's all bull****. Leaping that from morning audience. That was former President Trump sitting down, though, with fired Fox News anchor Tucker Carlson. This was his counter-programming to the debate. In just a few hours, Trump is expected to cross this entrance into the Fulton County Jail and surrender under his fourth criminal indictment. So far, half of Trump's 18 co-defendants in the case have already turned themselves in ahead of tomorrow's Noon Eastern deadline, Trump's bail has been set at $200,000. He is expected to leave his Bedminster Golf Club for Georgia this afternoon and then quickly return following his surrender. Nick Valencia following all of it live outside of the jail in Fulton County. Good morning, Nick. Good morning. It cannot be overstated enough, Victor and Poppy. What will happen here later today in Atlanta is unprecedented. And when the former president, who finds himself in criminal peril, walks through those doors in the Fulton County Jail, he'll be doing so as a guest for the first time, as well as a criminal defendant in this sprawling indictment. A historic moment set for today. 
Former President Donald Trump will surrender to authorities at the Fulton County Jail. He'll post a $200,000 bond, be processed, and possibly have his mugshot taken. This indictment is a travesty. Former New York City Mayor Rudy Giuliani not mincing words after his surrender. If this could happen to me, who is probably the most prolific prosecutor maybe in American history and the most effective mayor for sure. It can happen to you. The former federal prosecutor even taking a shot at the Fulton County District Attorney. Fannie Willis will go down in American history as having conducted one of the worst attacks on the American Constitution ever when this case is dismissed. Giuliani was booked on 13 charges and bond was set for $150,000. Trump posting on Truth Social shortly after Giuliani's surrender. The greatest mayor in the history of New York City was just arrested in Atlanta, Georgia, because he fought for election integrity. The election was rigged and stolen. How sad for our country, MAGA. Along with Giuliani, two more of Trump's key election lawyers have also turned themselves in. Sidney Powell. President Trump won by a landslide. We are going to prove it. And Jenna Ellis. We want to make sure to protect election integrity. Both Powell and Ellis are facing charges related to the 2020 Georgia presidential election, including violating Georgia's anti-racketeering law. So far, nine of Trump's co-defendants have turned themselves in. And for two of them, former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows and ex-Justice Department official Jeffrey Clark, their efforts to avoid arrest or surrender have come to an end. U.S. District Court Judge Steve Jones rejecting both Meadows and Clark's emergency filings in two separate rulings to move their cases to federal court. Meadows argued that he should be allowed to avoid processing in Fulton County before his scheduled hearing Monday. The judge writing in his decision, the clear statutory language for removing a criminal prosecution does not support an injunction or temporary stay prohibiting District Attorney Willis's enforcement or execution of the arrest warrant against Meadows. Clark sought an emergency hold on the state court proceedings, including efforts to arrest any of the case's defendants who didn't turn themselves in by the Friday deadline. Jones writing, until the federal court assumes jurisdiction over the state criminal case, the state court retains jurisdiction over the prosecution and the proceedings continue despite the notice of the removal. The process for the former president's uh, surrender is expected to be brief, well shorter than most people who turn themselves in here to the Fulton County Jail. The sheriff here in Fulton County, Pat Labat, has said that he's going to treat all the defendants in this case the same. We'll see later if that applies to the former president. Victor, Poppy. Nick, thank you. So there was a moment last night uh, at the debate that captured just how much Trump's legal issues are splitting the Republican Party. Chris Christie was trying to respond to Vivek Ramaswamy's defense of Trump and the crowd forcefully interrupted with really loud booing, prompting the moderator, Brett Baer, to do this. Well, so listen, the more time we spend doing this, the less time they can talk about issues you want to talk about. So let's just get through this section. Joining us now, CNN legal analyst and former U.S. attorney in the Middle District of Georgia, Michael Moore, and CNN political commentator and former lieutenant governor of Georgia, Jeff Duncan. Uh, Jeff, if the polling and the fundraising didn't send the message, if you have those hundreds, maybe thousands of people booing, it sends it 
What is the uh, incentive then to go harder, more aggressively against Trump, especially last night? Yeah, that little episode during that debate was exhibit A for what's wrong with the Republican Party, right? Donald Trump's confused us that the louder and angrier you are, the, the more conservative you are. And that couldn't be any further from the truth. And that's why I think, one, why he lost the election uh, in 2020, because uh, we, 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 the, the middle just got so tired of listening to that rhetoric and that angry, visceral tone. And then we watch these candidates now as they develop this relationship with Donald Trump. They continue to, to see headwinds and, and, and make, makes it tougher for them to win these elections. We've got to, we've got to heal from the inside here. And uh, I think it, until we get moments like that out of our discussion as Republicans, uh, we're, we're going to keep doing the same thing over and over. But again. is there any hope the party will this this election cycle. I mean, what did last night tell you about your party? You're still a Republican. Yeah, no, it told me that there's a couple of leaders ready to take this on, right? There's a couple okay. of folks that are willing to call Donald Trump out for being a fake Republican, like Nikki Haley did very early, put $8 trillion worth of national debt on his shoulders during his tenure as president. There's those that are able to talk about and articulate conservative policies, or there's those that are able to put a pathway forward to beat Joe Biden in a legitimate face-to-face -face manner. Yeah, I think there's some hope. And in I know it feels impossible. It feels like we're just victims of gravity here as Republicans that Donald Trump's going to win. And certainly if you look at the polling, it seems that way. But the reality is he's got 91 indictments. These are real serious charges. He's acting like a low-rent mob boss right now. He's, he's trying to bait people in by throwing fundraisers with him. He's trying to get, you know, the bully pulpit fired up again. He's trying to intimidate witnesses. I mean, look, this is a low-rent mob boss that's going to be exposed for, for not having any facts over the next... 9, 10, 12 months, and I hope Republicans wake up to that. Michael, you're next. I just want to get, you said he's intimidating witnesses. Did you feel like he was intimidating you when he said before your grand jury testimony a week or so ago that you shouldn't, he posted that, that you shouldn't talk? Well, that, the, probably what he was trying to do, but he certainly didn't work. I got there actually a few minutes earlier after reading that tweet. Okay. Yeah. So, Michael, there was a, a moment last night, and really the, the moderators kind of painted this really dark picture of American cities. Right. It it um, sounded like the American carnage of yes. 2017 inaugural speech. Uh, but the question was to Chris Christie about what he would do about gun crime. Right. And this was the plan that he had for U.S. attorneys across the country. Let's watch. The problem is, is, is that these prosecutors in these localities in the states are refusing to do their job and to arrest violent criminals. So what a President Christie would do is appoint an attorney general who would instruct each of the 93 U.S. attorneys that they are to take over the prosecution of violent crime in every one of those cities that are failing to do so. How do you reconcile that with the law? I think probably he was given an abbreviated answer that makes not a lot of sense. I mean, at, at this point, he was just trying to get a, a soundbite in. I mean, the, the reality is that there are limited resources and limited powers, really, for what a federal prosecutor can do, and also the investigating agencies. So the FBI has a specific charter. The ATF has a specific role. Uh, Homeland Security has a specific role. And, and actually, the Constitution of the state of Georgia, in fact, uh, uh, provides for the, the creation of district attorneys to be elected and, and designates that they'll be prosecuting crime. So taking over crime is not really right. There are things that a federal prosecutor can do, but they do it by partnering with their locals. So this idea that the feds would sweep in and take over all the prosecution of violent crime is just not, it's sort of a farce. Um, again, I mean, there are things you can do to partner, uh, but not, not as if you're going to come in over. and take over the district attorney's office, yeah. no. All right, Michael, Jeff, thank you. So 
What was Putin doing at the moment that ally-turned-foe Yevgeny Prigozhin's plane went down? We have those details next. And overnight, detained Wall Street Journal reporter Evan Gershkovich appeared in a Moscow court. His pretrial detention has been extended until November 30th. It was supposed to end next Wednesday. Gershkovich has been detained in Russia on espionage charges since March. He faces 20 years in prison. He and The Wall Street Journal deny the allegations. The U.S. government has declared him to be wrongfully detained. We'll be back. I don't know for a fact what happened, but I'm not surprised. Do you think people do believe him? There's not much that happens when Russia is not behind. I don't know enough to know the answer. So that is President Biden yesterday weighing in on the plane crash in Russia that purportedly killed mercenary chief Yevgeny Prigozhin. We're also getting a look at new images of the crash. It appeared to show a part of the wing or the tail of the aircraft. It's a debris field northeast of Moscow. It stretches for more than a mile. And here's what an eyewitness said. I heard an explosion or a bang. Usually if an explosion happens on the ground, then you get an echo. But it was just a bang, and I looked up and saw white smoke. One wing flew off in one direction, and the fuselage went like that, and then it glided down on one wing. It didn't nosedive, it was gliding. I was afraid it would fall into the village. So Russian state media reports 10 people were on that plane. So far, only eight bodies have been found. Also reporting from them that vans carrying the dead are now arriving at a forensic bureau. Our Nick Payton Walsh is live in Zaporizhia, Ukraine, covering all of it. Obviously, Nick, what Prigozhin has said and what he did a few months ago is at the front of people's minds this morning as this happens. Yeah, look, it's important to remind people what a seminal figure Prigozhin was in Putin's Russia. A Putin confidant used to interfere in elections in the U.S., allegedly uh, extending influence in Africa, fighting on the toughest parts of the front lines here in Ukraine with his brutal Wagner force. And this plane crash, extraordinary, the information on open source about what the plane was doing, the catastrophic moment appears that appears to have occurred, causing it to plummet down to the earth. And as you said yourself, the wreckage, so frankly horrifying that two of those bodies have yet even to be found. That is part of the difficulty here of working out what indeed has really happened. Yes, Prigozhin is said by Russian officials to have been on that plane, along with a coterie, frankly, of his inner henchmen in Wagner. Extraordinary that they put themselves all on the same plane. It suggests perhaps they felt that after the failed armed rebellion two months ago that the threat potentially uh, against them from Putin's inner circle may have diminished. But it is remarkable to see these images of the wreckage spread over a mile-wide area and mourning already occurring amongst Wagner followers on Telegram channels and indeed outside Wagner's headquarters. No final confirmation of his death, but that is something we'll only frankly hear from Russian state officials and Russian media, and they are in the service of Vladimir Putin, the man who Prigozhin crossed like no one else has done in the last 23 years in which Putin has been in power. So a stark moment for Vladimir Putin, potentially. Whoever was behind this plane crash, fingers are being pointed at him here in Ukraine and also in Russia too, suggesting this was essentially Putin's revenge. No evidence for that, but it would entirely be in keeping, frankly, with Putin's conduct in the past. He's poisoned, allegedly, critics, taken out critics for much lesser offences than that which Prigozhin was guilty of, and the fact Prigozhin seemed to be at liberty for two months startled many. A key moment, though, because this is clearly Putin, perhaps, thinking, 
that Boghossian remained a threat and deciding to risk angering all those who followed and believed in Boghossian by this particular decision. The final fact still unclear, but a remarkable moment again in Putin's Russia. Back to you. Certainly is. Nick Payton Walsh, thank you. Prigozhin's plane crash also came up during last night's GOP presidential debate. Here's former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley. Look at what Putin did today. He killed Prigozhin. When I was at the U.N., the Russian ambassador suddenly died. This guy is a murderer. Joining us now are Bloomberg editor and foreign affairs columnist Bobby Ghosh and CNN political and national security analyst David Sanger. Gentlemen, welcome to you. Bobby, I'll start with you. Uh, the president says he doesn't know enough. Um, and we know the investigation will be led by Russia. And Nick pointed out why that's not going to be conclusive. Any question in your mind that this is Putin's doing? The most likely scenario that it's, it's Putin's doing. Uh, the president correctly said very few things happen in Russia without Putin's knowledge or, or something like this wouldn't happen without his authorization. There's a small chance that it was an accident, but that's very, very, very small. The most likely scenario from everything we've seen so far is that this plane was brought down. David, if it is, was Putin, why do you wait so long? It's a great question, uh, Poppy. And one explanation of this is that he needed some time to sort out what he needed Wagner to do or how to go disarm it. He spent the past two months uh, getting Wagner to give up their heavy weapons so that they were no longer a force uh, against him. He gave them some busy work to do in Africa, where they've been active for some time, and uh, a bit in Belarus. But, you know, it's only been two months. It was two months to the day. And I'm reminded of what Bill Burns, the CIA uh, director and former ambassador to, uh, to Russia, told us a month ago at the Aspen well, Security Forum. Well, we have it, Forum, David. Which is... Let's play it oh. for people. Here it is. Okay. I think Putin is someone who generally thinks that revenge is a dish best served cold. So he's going to try to settle the situation to the extent he can. But again, in my experience, Putin is the ultimate apostle of payback. So I would be surprised if Prigozhin escapes further retribution for this. So in that sense, the president's right. If I were Prigozhin, I wouldn't fire my food taster. Prescient, David? It sure sounds that way. I mean... Poppy, this was a, either a scene from Machiavelli, if it was what we think it was, or it was a scene from The Godfather. But either way, you know, it is a remarkable end for a man who began selling hot dogs and then became sort of the, the moment of, of gangster rule. He rose in that in, uh, in Russia's uh, early 2000s. And then uh, begins to interfere in the election, running the uh, Internet Research Agency to come to Putin's aid. And then runs Wagner Group, uh, although denying that he did it until uh, Ukraine came along. So he has really sort of tracked the modern Putin era. And he became a victim, if this is what we think it was of that same era. And so what does this mean for Putin's power? The ability for Yevgeny Prigozhin to live for two months, to rise up against Putin and live to tell about it represent a vulnerability. Is all of that erased now? No, it's not completely erased, but this goes some, to some degree to, to protect Put, Putin for the moment. I mean, w what happens in dictatorships like this is when one person raises his head against uh, the ultimate leader, 
there has to be retribution. Uh, Putin is on record saying that the one thing he cannot forgive is betrayal. And so eventually, uh, if this is what we think it is, then Prigozhin got his punishment for betrayal. And it's a signal to all the other people around Putin that this can happen if you try to betray uh, the man at the top. Uh, as David said, this, this, is a, this is a country that's run essentially as a mafia state. But mafia bosses are always looking over their shoulder. Um, I don't think the fact that, that Prigozhin was allowed to live for, for two months uh, is, is going to change people's calculations. Uh, but if the war in Ukraine continues to go badly or doesn't go well for Russia, then other people in the close circle might begin to get ideas. Of course, at the same time, having experienced the Prigozhin rebellion, Putin will be watching much more closely to see who might be acting against him. Remember, some other generals were, have also been fired. I mean, yeah. uh, uh, Shurovkin, Sergei Shurovkin, the Air Force commander who was supposedly close to Prigozhin was also fired. So this is a purge, not just of one person, but of That's an That's a good point. And then and his number two also yep. apparently yeah. died on the plane. Yeah. All right. Bobby, David, thank you both. So Vivek Ramaswamy made a startling claim about climate change in the debate last night. We're going to fact check that right ahead. The climate change agenda is a hoax. The climate change agenda is a hoax. And we have to declare independence for it. And the reality is, the anti-carbon agenda is the wet blanket on our economy. And so the reality is, more people are dying of bad climate change policies than they are of actual climate change. That was tech entrepreneur and Republican presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy claiming that the climate change agenda is a hoax. To no surprise, PolitiFact calls that a false statement. 97% of the world's climate scientists agree that human activity is causing climate change. But then he said this, that more people are dying from climate change policies, to prevent climate change, right, than are actually dying of climate change. PolitiFact points out Ramaswamy did not provide any evidence of that. It wasn't clear what policies, by the way, he was actually referring to. His campaign has not responded to PolitiFact's request to clarify. And the New York Times this morning also points out how false that was, pointing out that no deaths have been linked to the growth of renewable energy or to the Biden administration's efforts to reduce fossil fuels. Back with us, John Avalon, Jessica Washington, Maura Gillespie, and Jeff Duncan. The Republican Party was asked about climate change. That's a good and important thing. But what Vivek Ramaswamy did there, what's your take? Well, he certainly had the loud, proud thing going on and was shoveling lots of red meat the whole night, right? Um, Donald Trump light, Donald Trump Jr., you name it. Uh, that was kind of the lane he wanted to fill and mission accomplished, I guess. Uh, you know, I think about that issue, climate change. I think about guns. I think about immigration. I think about all these opportunities for Republicans to kind of get to this reset point of a GOP 2.0 where we take a much more mature look at policies, right? Instead of doubling down on things that might have been popular or, or relevant or electable t- 10 years ago, we forward look and we have conservative conversations, conservative conversations around climate change, uh, immigration, right? We've got to have a pathway here. We've got to figure this out. We just can't lock the border. We've got to figure out what to do with 16 million undocumented folks. We need to follow the lead of, of Joe Q. Public, who's talking about guns and wants to have a, you know, is, is it okay to have 100 capacity magazines? Is it okay to let people with multiple red flags be able to buy guns on no time flat? 
mean, we've got to be able to have those mature conversations. I think that's the 65% of Republicans that are undecided right now. Mm-hmm. I think they're wanting to see that adult in the room rise up and have that conversation. Yeah, and, and look, I mean, God bless you for pushing for a policy-based conversation that's pragmatic <laughs> and, and nuanced. But I mean, obviously, that's not the lane where conservative media is. And that was the cue that Vivek was taking. I think we're right to focus on that, though, because he is the youngest person on the stage. And to say that, that climate change is a hoax, to say that these, these, these attempted solutions have been worse uh, than the underlying problem is, is, is clueless and callous and doesn't stand up to even the, the most basic scrutiny of, of fact checks. And then to have Ron DeSantis, governor whose state is being enormously affected by these problems, sort of take a pass. But Nikki Haley, to her credit, was the adult room on this question as well. I think Chris Christie uh, as well. You know, this, these are the kind of things we need to insist on a fact-based debate. It's not too much to ask. That kind of red meat dumbs us all down. You mentioned uh, playing to conservative media. There were a couple of times there where it seemed like they were shoehorning in some of those elements. Like Tim Scott uh, said that his mother told him a few things. The last one, the boys play sports with boys, as if that's a lesson that his mom would uh, send down about uh, trans students playing uh, sports. Vivek Ramaswamy did that as well, kind of listed off some headlines. He took a lot of incoming Let's play some of uh, what we heard from him or candidates about him there as he was at center stage. I've had enough already tonight of a guy who sounds like ChatGPT standing up here. There you have it. You're watching Make America less safe. You have no foreign policy experience, and it shows. And you know what? It shows. Vivek, you recently said uh, a president can't do everything. Well, I got news for you, Vivek. I've been in the hallway. I've been in the West Wing. A president of the United States has to confront every crisis facing America. And that's the former vice president who is now going after a person who's 38 years old, has never held political office. Does that make them look smaller? Does that diminish them by going after Vivek Ramaswamy? No, it's about experience and being able to serve in the highest office of the country. And they pointed that out last night, that Vivek doesn't have experience in not just politics, but in, lead- in leadership and, and, and understanding the issues. He demonstrated that he didn't understand the issues. And to your point about having it fact-based, nothing was fact-checked in real time, which is one of the biggest complaints many of us have about Donald Trump is that it's hard to even keep up with how many lies he spews. And last night, it was hard for me to keep up with how many you know, mistakes and falsities that Vivek you know, iterated. So to me, and him being the youngest, I have to say too, it's kind of shocking that he was saying that climate change is a hoax when that is such an issue for younger voters uh, and his opportunity to appeal to them fell flat. Yeah, especially on climate change. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're watching it happen in real time. You know, we're seeing these climate disasters. We have all of the scientific evidence that this is man-made and this is an issue that we're perpetuating. It's not the early 2000s where people are saying, oh, some people don't believe in climate change. Some people do. We're in this moment where everyone can see what's happening. It just feels so out of left field to even be having this debate. Is climate change man-made or not? Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. Live pictures now of the Fulton County Jail. In just a few hours, former President Trump will turn himself in there. And this just in, Republicans on the House Judiciary Committee are expected to launch an inquiry into Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis. The new reporting there, next. Uh, Look at this also, a rare phenomenon happening in Canada. Newly shared video shows a fire tornado 
forming over a lake. That's what it's called. Officials say a combination of high fire intensity, strong winds, and air mass instability caused this. More CNN This Morning to come after the break. This morning, as former President Trump prepares to surrender in Georgia today, House Republicans are expected to launch an investigation into the district attorney who brought those charges against him. The House Judiciary Committee is expected to open a new inquiry into Fulton County DA Fonnie Willis as soon as today. A source tells CNN the panel is expected to ask Willis whether she was coordinating with the Justice Department, which has already indicted Trump twice, or if she used federal dollars to complete her investigation. CNN's Melanie Zanona is live in Washington uh, with more. Uh, Good morning to you. What are the House Republicans expecting to get out of this investigation if D.A. Willis even shows up? Yeah, good morning, Victor and Poppy. You're absolutely right. This has been a very familiar playbook for House Republicans, which is investigate the investigators. Sources tell me and my colleague Annie Greer that the House Judiciary Committee is planning to ask and look into whether the Fulton County DA coordinated or communicated with Special Counsel Jack Smith in any way. That is something that Fonnie Willis has flat out denied. And Republicans also want to know whether any federal funds were used in the Georgia state-level investigation into Donald Trump. Trump in the efforts to overturn the 2020 election. So we could see some action on that front as soon as today, potentially in the form of a letter. And then a little bit more down the line, we're also told that the House Judiciary Committee is planning to move a bill that would allow current and former presidents to move either criminal or civil cases from the state court to federal court. That was something that was actually first introduced after Trump was first indicted by the Manhattan District Attorney, but it has gained new steam in the wake of this latest Georgia indictment. But we should point out here that lawmakers don't have a ton of jurisdiction over state-level issues, and even on the federal level, they have run into some resistance in trying to intervene in these ongoing criminal matters, which is just really extraordinary for Republicans to be trying to do this. But for most Republicans, This is a messaging ploy above all else, and they are just really eager to show that they are using everything in their power to try to defend the former president. Victor and Poppy. Melanie Zanona for us there in Washington. Thank you. So in just a few hours, former President Trump says he will, quote, be proudly arrested in Fulton County, Georgia. We'll tell you what to expect when he crosses the jail's entrance. And we have some big name guests coming up. Next hour, presidential candidate Chris Christie and former White House chief of staff under President Biden, Ron Klain. They'll join us in the eight o'clock hour. Former Vice President Mike Pence and New Hampshire Governor Chris Sununu. They will be with us live. Republican hopefuls in the first presidential debate trying to distinguish themselves from one another and from the GOP frontrunner who was not there. We have to face the fact that Trump is the most disliked politician in America. Now is not the time for on-the-job training. We don't need to bring in a rookie. I've had enough already tonight of a guy who sounds like ChatGPT. I am the only person bringing clear strategic vision to our foreign policy rather than just going through the talking points memorized in 1990. Oh, the reality America less that you have no foreign policy experience and it shows.
As Donald Trump plans his surrender to Fulton County authorities, three of his attorneys now surrendered at the Atlanta jail. This indictment is a travesty. Even being a very successful top prosecutor in this country does not give you immunity from becoming a criminal defendant. A federal judge has rejected a last minute legal maneuver by Mark Meadows and by Jeffrey Clark. Any multi-defendant case, we got 19 here, watch the knives come out. And the mercenary leader who dared challenge Vladimir Putin, Evgeny Prigozhin, apparently dead in a highly suspicious plane crash. The main suspicion is that this is connected with the state. Prigozhin crossed Putin in ways Putin had never seen in the 23 years he'd been in power. The question becomes who takes over these Wagner operations? Good morning, everyone. We're glad you're with us. It was a big night. It's a big day ahead, right? Certainly. If you slept in last night, we got it all covered for you this morning. Because we didn't. We were up for it. Just hours from now, Donald Trump will be arrested for the fourth time in five months. Sources tell CNN the former president will surrender this evening at the Fulton County Jail to face federal felony charges, I should say, for the alleged criminal conspiracy to overturn his election loss in Georgia. The deadline for all 19, by the way, to surrender is noon Eastern time tomorrow. About half of Trump's 18 co-defendants have turned themselves in, and that includes his longtime ally and lawyer, Rudy Giuliani. Take a look at those mug shots. Well, Trump skipped the first Republican presidential debate last night. His eight rivals battled for the spotlight without him there, but Trump still loomed large. At one point, the moderators asked the candidates if they would still support Trump as the GOP nominee, even if he's convicted. You hear that? The audience cheered when several of the candidates raised their hands, including Ron DeSantis and Mike Pence. Kristen Holmes is live in Bedminster, New Jersey, where Trump is preparing to leave for Georgia. So what's the feeling there uh, as Trump gets ready to head to uh, Fulton County? Good morning, Victor and Poppy. Well, two things can be true at once, and they often are when it comes to former President Donald Trump. I spoke to two of his advisors early this morning about that debate he skipped last night, and there were some concerns that there could be a breakout moment for another candidate. They did not feel that after watching the debate. They all felt very confident, the former president himself feeling very confident after that debate in that decision not to participate. But when it comes to going to Georgia, they, of course, do not actually want to be doing this today, but they are going to take advantage of it when it comes to a narrative. They know that this is going to suck all of the wind out of the sails of those people who did participate in the debate. And to give you a little bit of context here, here's what we know is going to happen later today. This afternoon, Donald Trump is going to leave his Bedminster Golf Club and go to the airport where he would fly to Atlanta and go directly to the jail this evening to be processed. We still do not have the details of what that's going to look like in terms of fingerprints, in terms of a mugshot, but we are expecting to possibly get those details before he arrives. Then he will head back to New Jersey. We are told that they are making arrangements for him to speak to reporters who are traveling with him before he takes off to come back to his club. And I do want to note that 7.30 time, because there had been a lot of conversations about the fact that it was in the evening, whether or not this was Trump's decision because he wanted to be there during prime time. And I am told that isn't the case, that this was because of negotiations between Trump's team and law enforcement in Atlanta, among others, as they tried to sort out how to get the former president in and out of the city as quick as possible. As we know, that is a city that can shut down because of traffic. So this was a later time that they believed would help them uh, navigate getting the former president in and out. And this is the charges that former President Trump has lashed out again, both privately and publicly. But his team, they say that they're going to play this the exact same way that they have for the other three that he has been to. 
these he, they are going to use this politically. They are going to fundraise off of this. And he is going to say that this is election interference, all because he is running for president in 2024. OK, Kristen Holmes will watch. Thanks for the reporting. The first Republican presidential debate happened last night without former President Trump, who is the frontrunner by far, according to several polls. Well, eight other candidates, they were there to dis- debate some of the top issues facing the nation, with an unexpected candidate being the target of most of the attacks. Watch. If former President Trump is convicted in a court of law, would you still support him as your party's choice? Please raise your hand if you would. The conduct is beneath the office of President of the United States. This is the great thing about this country. Booing is allowed, but it doesn't change the truth. It doesn't change the truth. Obviously, I'm not going to support somebody who's been convicted of a serious felony or who has dis- is disqualified under our Constitution. I will have Europe dip- pull their weight. Uh, right would, now, they're not doing that. I think our support should be contingent on them doing it. I find it offensive that we have professional politicians on the stage that will make a pilgrimage to Kiev, to their Pope, Zelensky. I Hold think on. that we have to put oh, the man. interests of Americans first. Vivek, if we do the giveaway that you want to give to Putin to give him his land, it's not going to be too long for he rolls across a NATO border. You week, want Nikki. to go and defund Israel? Just, you want to okay, give let me address that. to I'm glad you, you brought that up. You want to go and give you I'm going to address each of those right now. This is the false lies of a professional there you have it. your watch, so you the reality make America is, less safe. You have no foreign me, policy experience, and it shows. And you know what? This isn't that complicated, guys. Unlock American energy, drill, frack, burn coal, embrace nuclear. Put people back to work by no longer paying them more to stay at home. Joe Biden has weakened this country at home and abroad. Now is not the time for on-the-job training. We don't need to bring in a rookie. We must have a president of the United States who will advocate and fight for, at the minimum, a 15-week limit. We can't have Republicans who fight for 50 years for this great cause and win. to return it back to the states, and then the next day they turn around and go, no, the feds should do that. It's not a states-only issue. It's a moral issue. And I promise you, as president of the United States, the American people will have a champion for life in the Oval Office. When you're talking about a federal ban, be honest with the American people. No Republican president can ban abortions any more than a Democrat president could ban all those state laws. Joining us now, CNN political director David Chalian and CNN political commentator and host of Smirconish, Michael Smirconish. Gentlemen, welcome to you. Uh, some of the, the big moments um, we saw there, and David, let me start with you. I know that, that the exchange between Nikki Haley and Vivek Ramaswamy, uh, which many people saw as one of her stronger moments in the evening, that really stood out to you. 
Yeah, I mean, Nikki Haley did have uh, quite a few strong moments, moments that she could turn around and try to fundraise off of. But I think it's so instructive, Victor, because that moment, yes, a good moment for Nikki Haley to appeal to the more traditional establishment, uh, interventionist uh, kind of Republican Party. The question is, is that still the Republican Party? So she scores this point against Vivek Ramaswamy, but is Ramaswamy actually more aligned with the current GOP primary electorate here. So will it will it actually help Nikki Haley advance or is it going to help her sort of just stay alive in this race by bringing some uh, money into her coffers, uh, some more support from that establishment wing? I think when we look at these debate moments, we have to assess it in the context of what the Republican primary electorate is looking for right now, which is why I think Ramaswamy was sort of this placeholder for Trump all night long without the former president on the stage. Michael, what did the hand raise moment of everyone except for Asa Hutchinson and Chris Christie supporting a hypothetically convicted felon Trump tell you about the party? That they're still unwilling to take him on with the exception of of Chris Christie and Asa Hutchinson, that he was the elephant in the room and they need those who are currently supporting him, but they're not prepared to go after him in order to gain those votes. I think Donald Trump won the debate last night. Hmm. And I think that Donald Trump won the debate last night because without him on the stage, Ron DeSantis is the de facto leader in that field. But I don't think he justified that position. I don't think that that anybody came away from the debate and said, yeah, I see why it's DeSantis as the alternative to Trump. It's not that he had a bad night. He didn't have a bad night. Several people had a good night. But where today many are waking up who were on that stage thinking, hey, not so bad. I, I did well. I think it's harder to winnow the field. Why would they get out? before the next debate at the Reagan Library or the third debate after that. Donald Trump likes the status quo. David, what do you think about DeSantis's performance last night? And I'll put it in this context. Are there any of the moments that you just mentioned that can push a narrative forward that the governor presented last night during the debate? Well, I do agree with uh, Michael that uh, Trump emerges the winner of the debate by not showing up. I think uh, there's nothing that really happened on that debate stage where you saw somebody break out in that moment to really coalesce uh, the half of the party looking for an alternative to Trump just yet. I don't think DeSantis uh, did harm to his debate performance last night, but he didn't uh, catapult himself after a summer of reset, of concern among his donors, of con- you know dealing with staff uh, issues and overspending his campaign and trying to retool it, he didn't have a moment to show it's now on shore footing. In fact, I think DeSantis looked a little bit more like part of the rest of the pack instead of a tier of his own, which he was hoping to sort of use as momentum to keep building that support to be the one-on-one to take on Trump. I think this is a large field still uh, that does not yet have an answer as to who is going to emerge as the one, if one emerges, to be one-on-one with Donald Trump. Let's listen to the Chris Christie Vivek Ramaswamy back and forth here. I'm the only person on the stage who isn't bought and paid for, so I can say this. The climate change agenda is a hoax. I've had enough already tonight of a guy who sounds like ChatGPT standing up here. And the last person in one of these debates, Brett, who stood in the middle of the stage and said, What's a skinny guy with an odd last name doing up here was Barack Obama, and I'm afraid we're dealing with the same type of amateur standing on stage tonight. Give me a hug. (laughs) Give me a hug just like you did to Obama. Michael, what do you think? 
we love the zingers. And and I thought that Chris Christie's line was a great line to Vivek Ramaswamy. But for my money, the best retort of the night was Ramaswamy saying, "Okay, then give me a hug, because we all remember exactly what he's referring to. It's interesting that the first question went to Ron DeSantis, no surprise. The second question went to Chris Christie, Governor Christie, and you thought he was going to then come at DeSantis, but he passed. And that was sort of a sign of what was to come. It was Ramaswamy who caught most of the flack because they see him as ascendant. Yeah, and those first questions about rich men north of Richmond, which was uh, an interesting place to start. Uh, Michael, David, thank you both. So, thank you. Thanks, guys. Chris Christie facing a tough crowd at last night's presidential debate as he went after Donald Trump and his defenders. Well, guess who joins us next? Governor Chris Christie. And voters did not see Trump on stage last night, but they'll see him walking into jail today. How this plays politically next. More CNN This Morning to come after the break. In your book, you had much different things to say about Donald Trump than you're saying here tonight. That's and, not true. Well, it is very true. That is not it's true. It's very true. I read it. Because and there's I a know, difference look, between bad behavior and illegal behavior, way, Chris. And you as a prosecutor way, should know yeah, better. Yeah, I, you know what? I know a lot there's better. There's a difference between I bad know, behavior. And I know a lot better than you do. You've never done it like you've never done anything to try to advance the interests of this government except to put yourself forward as a candidate tonight. So that was former New Jersey governor, now Republican presidential hopeful Chris Christie going after tech entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy during the debate last night. But Vivek was not the only candidate Christie took on. Here you go. Here's the bottom line. Someone's got to stop normalizing this conduct. OK, now. And now, whether or not, whether or not you believe that the criminal charges are right or wrong. The conduct is beneath the office of President of the United States. And, 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 you know, this is the great thing about this country. Booing is allowed, but it doesn't change the truth. It doesn't change the truth. Mr. Ramaswamy, you raise your hand. Joining us now is the former governor of New Jersey, Chris Christie. Good morning, Governor. Great to have you. Let's start out with your best moment. What was your best moment last night? Telling the truth about Donald Trump. I mean, look, you know, if you're unwilling to if you're willing to confront him when he's not there, how the heck are you going to be willing to confront him when he is? And I'm proud of the fact that I was the only one last night who was willing to do it repeatedly and directly, because the truth does matter. And what also matters is being able to say to folks, look, whatever you believe about the weaponization of DOJ or whether you agree or disagree with the criminal charges, Mm -hmm. do we really believe that this is normal behavior? Do we really think that this is what we want as a role model for our children and grandchildren? The clear answer is no. Why do you think that was your best moment to get Republican primary voters to vote for you when you had really loud boos every time you did that? Well, because not every Republican primary voter in America was in the arena. Um, and because you can't be looking to play to the grandstand, Poppy. Okay. What I was doing was talking to the people, the tens of millions of people who were watching um, in their living rooms, in their family mm-hmm. rooms at home. Let me play. And the fact is, 
If you're not going to talk about that, then, then, then why bother running? You so, should just concede the race to Donald Trump, which is what a lot of those people did on the stage last night. Governor, let me play for you what one woman watching in a focus group with our colleague said as she was watching you. Tell me why you didn't like what Chris Christie had to say. He was just argumentative, pretty much, and um, out after Trump. You don't think there was any logic to what he said, though? I think it was a lot of revenge. To voter in Iowa, what do you say to people like that? I'd say, like, once again, um, am I out after Trump? Uh, I am out to beat Donald Trump, and because I think he deserves to be beaten. And, and I make no apologies for going out and making the argument against him and the argument for the Constitution. I would say to her, if she were standing in front of me right now, do you love the Constitution and do you care about it? And does it matter to you that a guy who you know, took the oath to preserve, protect, and mm -hmm. defend the Constitution and said, said he wanted to suspend it to keep himself in power? Um, I'm sorry, you don't back off from making that argument. The country is bigger than any one man and certainly better than, bigger than mm -hmm. any one person's opinion in a CNN focus group. Governor, what do you think your weakest moment was? I think the weakest moment for, for me was the weakest moment for everybody, Poppy, which was that that stage was completely out of control. Um, and I'm disappointed um, that the moderators didn't play a stronger hand um, in controlling what was going on. There were a couple of folks on stage last night who felt they could go over time every time, um, that they could interrupt and had a right to speak on every issue. And that's where the moderators oh. have to say All no right. and shut them down. That and that didn't that didn't happen. And so what it led to was mm -hmm. what it led to was there being no sense of control or focus yeah. on the debate during large okay. portions of it. I asked your your weakness, but I don't think you're going to answer that. You did get the second most talk time. I'll just say that. But I do want to let you answer a question on abortion because almost all the other candidates got to weigh in on this last night and you didn't. And I'd like you to clarify for the voters right now. What would you have said last night if you were asked directly about whether you would sign and support a federal ban on abortion? You used to support a 20-week ban. Yeah, what I've, what I've said, uh, Poppy, and I did not support a 20-week ban. That's incorrect. Um, what I've said all along was that I think each and every one of the states and its citizens should make this decision. That for 50 years we've argued Roe versus Wade in the federal scheme was not the right way to go, that this belonged in the states, and that the states should be able, through their citizens, to make the decision that they want regarding how abortion should be regulated in each and every one of the particular states. And if, in fact, um, at one point, after all 50 states have weighed in, there's an obvious national consensus, I would support an obvious national consensus, but we are far, far from that. And I don't think we should short-circuit the process of letting all the citizens of all the states weigh in. It's the first time they've had an opportunity to do that in over 50 years, and I would not cut short that process. Is, is Vivek Ramaswamy the future of the Republican Party? No. Okay. No. Why is he pulling higher? I mean, you spent a lot of time going. Sorry to step on you. There's a little delay. I asked because you spent a lot of time going after him last night, and he is pulling higher than you. I, I responded to him twice when he came after me. Um, and so I don't think I spent a whole lot of time on that, <laughs> Poppy. Um, he came after me, so I'm going to respond. And by the way, he's not polling higher than me in New Hampshire. 
where I'm at 14 percent and in second place. And that's why these national polls are so silly. We don't have a national primary, as you know. Uh, and I'm really happy about the fact that I'm at a clear second place now, five points ahead of Ron uh, DeSantis and three points ahead of Vivek Ramaswamy uh, in New Hampshire. And that's where this is going to matter in the early states that's going to set it up. So the national polls are silliness unless we decide to have a national primary, which is not what we're doing in this race. So, uh, you know, I am no more concerned about Vivek Ramaswamy than I am about anybody else in the race. And last night he just decided that he was going to try to talk as much as he possibly could and insult everybody on the stage. Um, this is a guy who's barely ever voted. And now he wants to insult all of us who have been giving to the public, been in public life for decades, uh, sacrificing to try to make this a better country um, while he's been sitting on the sidelines pouting and not voting or participating in the process. So, you, you know, no, I don't think that's the future of our party. I think it's for the people who participate. Earlier this week, you said you thought Trump would debate in the third debate that he would see the first one and then he'd see the one on September 27th. And you said he's going to get pretty damaged in the first two by not being there. After seeing what played out last night, do you still think that he shows up for the third one? I do. Yes. Are you looking forward to that? I'm looking forward to every one of these. <laughs> Anytime you have an opportunity to be on the stage and lay out what you believe for the American people, um, it's a great opportunity. And I'll also say to you that it didn't matter to me last night in the end that he wasn't there because I continued to say the very same things I've been saying on your airwaves mm -hmm. and lots of others about Donald Trump last night. Character matters, the truth matters, and that his conduct is below, well below, what we should expect from a president of the United States. And so I believe that before last night. I believe it afterwards. Uh, and I'm not going to continue... Um, in this race without saying those things. And I'm proud to be able to do that last night and give voice to tens of millions of people in this country, if not hundreds of millions of people, who believe we can do better than Joe Biden and uh, Donald Trump. We will see you again, I'm sure before, but we'll see you on the debate stage on September 27th. Governor Chris Christie, thanks very much for the time this morning. Thanks for having me on, Poppy. I look forward to seeing you again soon. Take All right, care. excellent interview. Let's bring it to the table now. CNN political commentator and former special advisor to President Obama, Van Jones. CNN political commentator and former Trump campaign advisor, David Urban, and CNN senior legal analyst, Ellie Honig. David, let me start with you. Uh, first question to uh, Governor Christie was his strongest moment. He said, telling the truth about Trump, holding a strategy. Do you agree? Uh, you know, I Poppy was a tough questioner there. I know. Right. Yeah. Oh, wow. Too long. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, he, he had a, I love Chris Christie. I think he had a challenging night last night, kind of breaking through the cacophony. Um, but yeah, I think his, I think his strongest moment was actually when he kind of uh, praised Mike Pence standing next to him for standing up and defending the Constitution and said, you know, not only did Mike Pence do the right thing, he did, you know, it was, it was politically unpopular. He did so at his own you know, peril. I mean, he really, by, by, by praising Mike Pence, I think it reflected very well upon himself. So I think that was his strongest moment. Um, just a fact check, Van, before we get to you. It is, the governor said it wasn't true. He did support a 20-week ban on abortion. This was back in his first presidential campaign in 2015. It's important where he stands now, but that's just a point of fact. Van, your thoughts? It, last night, he was a bullfighter with no bull. Uh, he was he, he's there to fight Donald Trump. He gets like a matador 
and there's no bull. So he's just a weird guy in tights. And so that didn't work for him last night. Weird guy in tights. That's what I'm saying. I mean, he, he didn't work for him last night. He was, he, he was there to fight Donald Trump. Donald Trump wasn't there. And so he looked kind of like lost on stage. Uh, and he was upstaged by, by Vivek, as was everybody else last night. I think it's unfortunate. I think what Chris Christie is doing is a national service uh, by uh, sticking up for not just the best in the Republican Party, but the best in the country by holding Donald Trump to a high standard. But last night, I think, you know, those of us who expected to see the, the Chris Christie show uh, couldn't find it last night on the air. You, yeah. you know what I thought was so interesting? When the moderator asked the eight panelists, the eight candidates, if Donald Trump is convicted, yeah. will you still support him? And, that, and that's a question I've been asking our, our political folks, because... Up until he's convicted, you can fairly say, well, he, he's charged, but he's presumed innocent. And so let's see how it plays out. But when there, if there comes a point of conviction, is that going to shake anyone loose? And sure enough, what was the vote count? Two, Christie and Asa Hutchinson saying, of course not. But the other six said, yes, I, we still would put their hands up. I, I found that, maybe I'm naive, I found that no, surprising. Including Mike Pence. Including Mike, right, no, who, who's a, a victim and in the case. Yeah. if convicted part that's really important. That's, that's what made the question a good question yeah. and the answer so telling. Well, you know, the question that wasn't asked, and maybe Fox couldn't do this because of their lawsuit, was do you think Donald Trump won the election? Right? Like nobody, nobody asked the question. Nobody asked them, do you think Donald Trump won the election in 2020? They asked about January 6th a little bit. Did Mike Pence do the right thing? But nobody said, do you think he won or lost? Right? And I think that would have been telling to hear the answers on that. All right, let's look ahead. So today, the president will leave Bedminster, head to Georgia to turn himself in. Um, what should we expect? This will be, uh, in some ways, a spectacle that the former president will exploit yeah. politically. Uh, he certainly will. I mean, look, we keep saying this is unprecedented. This is highly precedented now. This is the fourth <laughs> time in, in five months or so that we've been through this. He will go through the same routine. He will fundraise and all of that. Um, the thing to keep in mind, though, is... What's happening today is so normal. It happens all the time, 24-7, that jail count is open, the Fulton County Jail, and people come through there and they're processed. And I will say thus far in the Fulton County case, to really the credit of, of the prosecutor and the sheriffs and the authorities down there, it's been by the book. It's been straightforward. We haven't had any drama. We haven't had any disruption. So let's hope that happens. But again, he's got four battles now going on at once. I don't know if it's going to hurt him politically, but the stakes are, are different well, in the court. We know it's not. Van, I mean, his poll numbers are up after all of these indictments. They're, uh, they're up. They're not flat. It, they're not down. They're up. It's, it's, it's mirror world. In uh, and, uh, and one world, uh, I don't know, trying to overthrow the government is a bad idea <laughs> and maybe disqualifying. In another world, he's a martyr. Uh, for he's, 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 he's sacrificing himself on the, the, the altar of, of justice and truth. It's hard to understand that from uh, this side of the table, but there are people who f truly believe that the fact that they're going after him means he must be on our side. Yeah, what's instructive, I think, you know, you heard Chris Chris talk about his polling numbers. All eight of those candidates there last night, if you add up their polling numbers, still don't beat Trump altogether. If you stack them all on one top of each other, they still don't match Trump's numbers. So what does that say about America? I, I know guilty, not guilty. I mean, I know we got to go. I, I, you brought up the song that they started with, um, yeah. and I found that to be a really intriguing question. I actually, I, I thought it, I, I <laughs> thought it was illuminating. I wish the answers were more direct, but that they chose that. Just talk no, to us from a Republican yeah. perspective. So, so Bobby, yeah, yeah. interestingly, like last night before, we were sitting in the green room, we were watching the debate, and I said, said to Michael Moore and others yesterday afternoon, I said. I want to see who the first person to mention the song is, right? That's going to be very telling because that's the anthem for this campaign. And whoever gets that and who connects with people on that is going to be a winner. And interestingly, you know, Fox led with that. And I think 
Ramaswamy channeled that song last night. I, know, I think he channeled that kind of what, frustration and anger and that, 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 you know, Washington, rich men north of Richmond, the Mitch McConnells of the world are fleecing us and taking our money. And I think Ramaswamy channeled the best. Was it disappointing to you that Martha asked this question directly to DeSantis, what do you think the song means? And it was like this big opening and he didn't really take it. Well, I mean, DeSantis is, you know, wah, wah, wah. I mean, that's kind of like, when he talks about all I can really hear, he's like Charlie Brown, the, the school teacher. But, um, uh, so look, but nobody laid a glove on DeSantis, though. Uh, he, he came in there expecting everybody to pile on him. And I don't know if it's a, if it's a praise or an insult, but nobody cared about DeSantis. They were trying to stop that Vivek. Yeah. That's the guy they were trying to stop. Well, if they're at the same level, you've got DeSantis going in one direction yeah. and Vivek's, uh, Vivek's uh, yeah. polling going in the opposite DC. direction. All right, Van Jones, David Urban, Ellie Honig, thank you. Guys. Thanks, Next, our Republican candidate and president hopeful, Vice President Mike Pence. He's going to join us live. Russia says the mercenary chief who led a mutiny against Vladimir Putin's military two months ago was killed in this plane crash. What President Biden had to say about that. So Russia says the mercenary chief who led a mutiny against Vladimir Putin's military two months ago is now dead. Russian authorities claim that Wagner chief Evgeny Prigozhin and a number of his top lieutenants were passengers on a deadly plane crash outside of Moscow on Wednesday. The plane's final moments, you're looking at them because they were caught on camera. You see the plane spiraling toward the ground, falling nearly 8,000 feet a minute at the end. And President Biden was asked about this yesterday. I don't know for a fact what happened, but I'm not surprised. Do you think do you, do you believe it? There's not much that happens when Russia is not behind. But I don't know enough to know the answer. Joining us now, CNN contributor, former CNN Moscow bureau chief Jill Doherty, and former deputy assistant secretary of defense for Russia and surrounding areas, Evelyn Farkas. Thank you both for being with us. Jill, let me just begin with you. Could this not have been Putin? <laughs> well, I think what Biden said probably is true, that something, you know, of this magnitude would not have happened unless Putin knew about it or orchestrated it. So I think that theory is there. It's everything in Russia right now is very murky. There's a lot going on behind the scenes. But I think you have to say that this makes sense to say that President Putin wanted Prigozhin dead. Uh, Evelyn, what does this mean then for Wagner? Because they are in, obviously, Belarus, uh, across Russia, Africa, the Middle East, now with uh, Prigozhin dead and his, his number two. What's this mean for the group? Yeah, it's a good question, Victor. I think most of us uh, assumed that Prigozhin would end up dead pretty soon once he crossed Putin so publicly. But there was the question for the Russian government of how are they going to keep the Wagner group alive, because it's very useful for the Russian government to have this group of mercenaries cementing Russian relationships with African strongmen and also places like Libya, Syria, etc. So I think the Wagner group will continue in some form, but it will obviously be closely, much more closely controlled by the Russian government. And whoever they put at the head of the organization now will no doubt be not given such a long leash like Prigozhin mm -hmm. was given. And then the question, Joe, becomes what does this, what does a war on Ukraine without, and not only Prigozhin, but his number two was on that plane as well. What does that mean for the war? 
Well, the Wagner people hadn't really been fighting in Ukraine for the past few months after that, uh, you know, rebellion. They were sent, you could say, to Belarus, and they really haven't been doing much. So at this point, at least, it, it would appear that that wouldn't have much effect. But I think what Evelyn's getting into is, could they be used? They apparently were in Belarus. There's some reports that they may be pulled out of Belarus, we still don't know. They're a potent fighting force. They're organized. But I think the other part that's really important to, to uh, remember is they also were very loyal to Prigozhin. And there appears to be, if you look at social media and reports from Russia, a lot of anger about the fact that Prigozhin apparently was killed. And so what does that mean? You know, could their discontent come out in a different way? Yeah, it's an important question. Do yeah. they fit now into the Russian forces uh, after this event? Jill Doherty, Evelyn Farkas, thank you. President Biden was front and center as a topic at last night's debate. We need to send Joe Biden back to his basement and reverse American decline. Joe Biden has uh, weakened America at home and abroad. Here's former chief of staff Ron Klain joins us next. GOP candidates attacked President Biden's economic policies last night at the debate. But what did Democratic Party leaders learn from what was said? Joining us now to respond is Biden's former White House chief of staff, Ron Klain. He's also uh, knows a few things about debates. He worked on debate prep for Bill Clinton in 92, Al Gore in 2000, and led the debate prep for every Democratic nominee since, including Barack Obama and President Biden. Welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Guys. Let me start with a, a nonpartisan question yeah. here. You wrote in a memo once, while you can lose a debate at any point, you can only win a debate in the first 20 minutes. Did anyone win that debate in the first 20 minutes? I don't think so. I was surprised by uh, the fact that with Donald Trump not being there, it was a big opportunity for the eight of them to really step up and stand out, not be under his shadow. I don't think anyone really stepped up to that. There was a lot of bickering, a lot of sometimes pointless bickering. I don't know why Mike Pence, who was the vice president of the United States, decided to pick on Vivek Ramaswamy all night. You think that list. diminished him? I, I don't think it helped him. Mm. I mean, I think everyone on the stage is 40 or 50 points behind Donald Trump. 30, you know, some of them are 20 points behind Ron DeSantis. They didn't go after the people who were ahead of them. They went after people who were just similar single-digit candidates. I don't know that anyone really stood out last night. No one really looked like a president last night. I thought the big winners last night were, were uh, Donald Trump, who entered that, that debate 40 points ahead. I don't think anyone changed that dynamic. And Joe Biden, who you looked on the stage, you did not see a president on that stage last night. Well, but who on that stage, Ron, did you see as the most formidable challenger to Joe Biden on a debate stage? I think on a debate stage, we know Chris Christie's a very good debater. I don't think he had a great night last night. And, uh, you know, I think that it's nice to hear him say raise their hands or not raise their hands on supporting Trump. But everyone on that stage took a pledge to support Trump as the nominee. And the one candidate, let's give him some credit, Will Hurd qualified the debate, would yeah. not take the pledge. He wasn't on the stage. So see people who pledged to be for Trump stand and there. So and, Chris Christie is Biden's biggest worry? If I wouldn't say he's stage. our biggest worry. I'd say that he would be a very good debater. He's a very skilled debater. He's a skilled political performer. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't see anyone on that stage last night that looked like a president at all. Mm -hmm. The candidate who was not on the stage, Donald Trump, uh, will be turning himself in today in Georgia. Fourth time, now 91 counts, twice impeached. Yet he's in a dead heat with President Biden. Why? I don't think he's in a dead heat with President Biden. I think the recent polls show Biden opening up a bit of a lead, a small lead. Look, this is a closely divided country. 
Uh, it was a close election last time. I imagine it'll be a close election again this time. I think just as Biden won in 2020, I think he'll win in 2024. Uh, I think that he inherited a country that was a mess when he became president. Unemployment was 10% when he became president. It's 3.5% now. The economy was dead in the water. We're growing stronger than any G7 nation right now. So I think you're starting to see some progress on the economy under President Biden. We're in a very different place as a country as we were than we were two years ago. I will say the latest polls we've seen have the two of them within the margin of error. Yeah, yeah. I don't think that's true for all the polls, but, okay. you know, so a long way away. There it is, 47 for the president, 46 for Donald Trump. I think, I think what Victor's getting at, and I'm just intrigued by this, is it, yes, last time Biden won, but this polling is after four indictments. Yeah. yeah. That, that's what I'm asking. Well, what I'm saying is it's a divided country. We know that. It was a close election last time. I think it'll be a close election again this time. I think the outcome will be the same. I don't, you know, Joe Biden got 8 million more votes than Trump. I don't talk to a lot of people who are Biden voters in 2020 who say they're switching to Trump in 2024. And so if that repeats itself, then Biden, I think, will win again narrowly. For the first uh, half of his administration, and certainly uh, continuing now, the president has made defending democracy in this country a priority. Yeah. And I understand that he doesn't want to feed into the narrative of Donald Trump and this being a political persecution, these federal uh, indictments. But can he continue to stay silent on uh, the details of the indictment without abandoning that line of, of argument to the American people? Yeah, I think, I, think, uh, I, I think he's doing the right thing, which is this is a matter for the courts. It's not a political matter. And I think that, uh, you know, he shouldn't try to influence the courts by speaking out about it. He wouldn't. And I think that let the courts do their job, let the prosecutors, let the, the you know, Donald Trump was indicted not because of a prosecutor, but because a grand jury of citizens voted to indict him. Let the citizens speak through the courts, let the process work its way out. The president's going to run the country, he's going to govern, he's going to work on our economy, work on creating manufacturing jobs here in the United States, work on protecting women's right to choose. That's his job. The courts can do their jobs. Joe Biden's going to do his job. I want to ask you about Mark Meadows, because you know him. I do. You did calls with him during the transition, and now he's a defendant in this Georgia probe, and he really wants his case moved to federal court. He didn't even want to have to be booked and arrested yesterday, and so far he has not prevailed. He, he has to be go through the process, and we'll see on Monday what a judge says about all of this in terms of federal court. But um, I want to read you what Bonnie Willis, the DA, said about him. He has not shown how his participation in a RICO enterprise that conspired to overturn the election had any relationship to his official duties, much less how his participation in such an agreement was necessary for him to perform as chief of staff. You were chief of staff. He's saying, because I was that, you know, this stuff cannot be considered in state court because it pertained to my job to help the president. What do you say, having had that job? Well, uh... As chief of staff, I never tried to overthrow the government and never tried to participate in a conspiracy to do that or to block the peaceful transition of power. Uh, so I think, you know, Mr. Meadows is going to have to answer for his, his actions and uh, through the legal system appropriately. We appreciate that. I wish we had more time with you, Ron Clayton. Thanks so much. Thank Thanks you. for having me. Yeah, appreciate nice it. Nice to Thank have you. you. So one Trump ally who was deeply involved in the fake elector scheme was not charged... In the Georgia case, could that mean he's cooperating with prosecutors against Trump? We'll tell you who. And new reporting just into CNN about the last minute legal move that Donald Trump has just made hours before he turns himself into the Fulton County Jail. That's ahead. More CNN this morning to come after the break.
So as former President Trump and others get ready to turn themselves in at the Fulton County Jail in Georgia, 30 other unnamed co-conspirators remain unindicted. CNN has identified one of those as Boris Epstein, the man who served as former President Trump's legal gatekeeper. Epstein gave direction to lawyers and others who were charged for their efforts to overturn the 2020 election. And our John Miller explains why he may have avoided indictment for now. I'm happy to share all of the information about the overwhelming amount of fraud that happened in the 2020 election in Arizona, in Wisconsin, and Georgia, and Pennsylvania. Boris Epstein, a key voice in Donald Trump's inner circle, falsely claiming that the 2020 election was stolen. Making America great again. A Russian-born former investment banker who serves as one of Donald Trump's closest advisors, he was prominent in the push to get around the Electoral College with a pro-Trump slate of what prosecutors say were fraudulent electors. Yes, I was part of the process to make sure there were alternate electors for when, as we hoped, the challenges to the seated electors would be heard and would be successful. When Trump lawyers, led by Rudy Giuliani, called a press conference to claim massive election fraud, Epstein was there with them. And Boris Epstein. And he was in court when Donald Trump was indicted in New York. But unlike many others who were directly involved in Trump's attempt to overturn the 2020 election, Epstein has not been charged with any crimes related to the scheme. He has, however, been identified by CNN as unindicted co-conspirator individual three, in the Georgia indictment. Does that tell us anything about Boris Epstein? What it does tell us is that in the view of the prosecutor, the person they've labeled as co-conspirator was part of this crime, was in on it, and does have some potential criminal liability. The fact that Epstein was not charged has caused some in the Trump camp to wonder, is he cooperating against Donald Trump or others? He could certainly have flipped and could be providing testimony against other witnesses. Something to consider, though, is that we weren't in the grand jury room and we simply don't know what evidence they were provided. And they simply might not have evidence that they that prosecutors know they could get into court to ultimately bring charges against him. Boris Epstein did not return an email we sent with a list of questions about this story. His attorney, Todd Blanche, who incidentally is also the criminal attorney for Donald Trump, answered our email with a no comment. That is so interesting. Yeah. you think we'll learn more about more of these unnamed folks? I think we will, but the thing that puts Boris Epstein kind of ahead of other unindicted co-conspirators is uh, there are people who reported directly to him. An example is Mike Romans, who did field operations uh, during the, the, the attempt to get... Um, people on this alternate elector's ballot right. who were charged in the case and people above him, Donald Trump. So thus the question, um, what is coming for him, if anything? Testified in the grand jury in Atlanta, spent two days with the special prosecutor in Washington answering questions there, mentioned 17 times in the January 6th committee report, but so far not a defendant in either one of these cases. All right. Very interesting. John Miller, thank you. Thanks. Only hours to go before former President Trump is expected to surrender at the Fulton County Jail after his fourth indictment this year. CNN's got new reporting on a legal move Trump just made. And Trump skipping last night's first GOP debate, but still, he and his legal troubles were clearly a focus of conversation. If former President Trump is convicted in a court of law, would you still support him as your party's choice? Please raise your hand if you would. 
eight Republican hopefuls get the first presidential debate, trying to distinguish themselves from one another and from the GOP frontrunner who was not there. We have to face the fact that Trump is the most disliked politician in America. Now is not the time for on-the-job training. We don't need to bring in a rookie. I've had enough already tonight of a guy who sounds like ChatGPT. I am the only person bringing clear strategic vision to our foreign policy rather than just going through the talking points memorized in 1990. You make America less that you have no foreign policy experience and it shows. As Donald Trump plans his surrender to Fulton County authorities, three of his attorneys now surrendered at the Atlanta jail. This indictment is a travesty. Even being a very successful top prosecutor in this country does not give you immunity from becoming a criminal defendant. Federal judge has rejected a last minute legal maneuver by Mark Meadows and by Jeffrey Clark. Any multi-defendant case, we got 19 here, watch the knives come out. And the mercenary leader who dared challenge Vladimir Putin, Evgeny Prigozhin, apparently dead in a highly suspicious plane crash. The main suspicion is that this is connected with the state. Prigozhin crossed Putin in ways Putin had never seen in the 23 years he'd been in power. The question becomes who takes over these Wagner operations? So much news this morning. That's why we're very glad you're with us. Good morning, everyone. Just hours from now, former President Trump is set to head to Georgia to be arrested for the fourth time. And sources tell CNN he is planning to turn himself in tonight at the Fulton County Jail to face another round of felony charges. Trump and 18 co-defendants accused of engaging in a criminal enterprise to overturn his election loss in the state. Well, the deadline to surrender is noon Eastern tomorrow. Half of Trump's alleged co-conspirators have already turned themselves in. These are the mugshots, including Trump's longtime ally, Rudy Giuliani, who was once known as America's mayor, a former U.S. attorney who prosecuted mafia bosses. The sheriff says Giuliani was booked and fingerprinted at the jail just like everybody else. So we have full team coverage. Sarah Murray standing outside the Fulton County Jail. Caitlin Poland at the Fulton County Courthouse. Let's start with Kristen Holmes. She's in Bedminster, New Jersey. That's where Trump is now before he heads to Georgia. And you have some news just breaking on Trump's legal team there. That's right, Poppy. Trump, right ahead of this surrender, is replacing his top Georgia lawyer. Drew Finley had been handling most of Trump's legal activity in the state of Georgia. Now they have brought on a new Atlanta-based criminal defense attorney named Stephen Sadow. Now, we did have a statement from Sadow saying, I have been retained to represent President Trump in the Fulton County, Georgia case. The president should never have been indicted. He is innocent of all the charges brought against him. Then Sadow continues in saying, we look forward to the case being dismissed or, if necessary, an unbiased, open-minded jury finding the president not guilty. This is a last-minute switch-up here of his Georgia legal team. Just hours before, he is set to go to that jail to surrender, to be processed. And it really goes to show that they are trying to take this seriously. We know that this is something uh, that Donald Trump has been fixated on, this case in particular, these charges in particular, him talking about this publicly and privately. Now, I spoke to a number of Trump sources who said that this was not about Finling's behavior in any way. It was not about his performance. They also noted that Sadow is the best criminal defense attorney in Atlanta. But, of course, this is still a breaking story, and we are trying to get all the details here of how this came to be. Well, thank you for the breaking news. Bring us more when you have it. Kristen Holmes. Joining us now, Sarah Murray outside the Fulton County Jail and Caitlin Polance outside the Fulton County Courthouse. Sarah, we'll start with you. Uh, historic day, another one. What are you seeing outside the jail? 
It is a historic day. And, you know, this is going to be the first time that Donald Trump actually has to turn himself into a jail. In the past, we've seen him processed in these courthouse facilities. This is going to be different. We've already seen a couple of Trump supporters out here with flags this morning. But as the hour draws closer, as we get closer to this evening when Donald Trump is expected to appear, obviously there's going to be a lockdown at the jail. We're going to see more security around here. We're expecting that he's going to get the full security treatment, ferrying him from the airport to this jail where he will be processed. Now, again, for a normal defendant here at the Fulton County Jail, this is a process that could take hours and hours. That is, of course, not expected to be the case for the former president. Normal defendants are searched. They go through a medical screening. They are fingerprinted. They have a mugshot taken. It's not clear that Donald Trump is going to have to go through all of those steps. You know, there are other high-profile defendants, for instance, who don't get searched. And even though the sheriff here has said all of the defendants in this case are going to be treated the same, they're going to get a mugshot, they're going to be fingerprinted, Trump has not had a mugshot in any of his three previous arrests. So we're, of course, waiting to see if that's actually how this plays out here today, guys. All right, Caitlin, over at the courthouse, uh, let's not forget that there are 18 co-defendants there in Georgia. What do we know about the others who have surrendered and who's still out there? A lot of people... We are, we are still waiting to see more of these defendants. There are a lot of people in this case, about half of them have turned themselves into the jail by this point to be arrested, to be processed, to have those mugshots taken. The three yesterday uh, that were quite notable and recognizable to many in the American public because they had been out there sowing disinformation on behalf of the former president, that would be Rudy Giuliani, Sidney Powell, and Jenna Ellis, all lawyers who were working for Trump after the election. They now have their mugshots taken. They have been arrested. They have been fingerprinted. They have their bond agreements. Rudy Giuliani actually yesterday went to a bail bondsman, uh, essentially to get the loan to pay, uh, to put up his, his bond terms uh, for the court system. And so he was able to be released. They all have been released. But as we await Donald Trump to come into town and to also be arrested, we are waiting for two other very recognizable figures in American politics, Jeffrey Clark, the Justice Department, official uh, who had been wanting to or had been considered by Donald Trump to become the attorney general to try and overturn the Georgia vote, the popular vote after the election. He has not had his bond terms released if he has had them negotiated. He's not been arrested yet. Mark Meadows, the chief of staff from the White House, nor has he. And with these two men, they were trying to hold off their arrest. And a judge yesterday came in and said, no, that's not going to be possible. You your date, your deadline to surrender is noon on Friday. So we're waiting to see what happens with those two figures. Kaylin Polans at the courthouse, Sarah Murray at the jail. Thank you both. All right. Happy to be joined at the table by our friend, CNN anchor and, national, and chief national correspondent, John King, CNN senior legal analyst, former assistant U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York, Ellie Honig is here. Back at the table, CNN chief law enforcement and intelligence analyst, John Miller. And last but never least, CNN <laughs> political analyst and New York Times national politics reporter said her name with the best shoes in television. <laughs> I will tell you that. Good morning, guys. Uh, John, your, your whole project the next 18 months is all over the map. You're talking to voters. What are voters going to think today when they watch Trump? walk into that jail? It's yet another example of the great American divide. If you're talking about voters at large, you know, a lot of Democrats would say, you know, we told you so. This is why we wanted him not there. But the challenge right now is for the Republicans. Can Donald Trump be beat in the Republican 
primaries and caucuses. And there's a split there, but the split is overwhelmingly pro-Trump. Look at his numbers. In the national polls right now, if you average them out, he's at like 57%. Yeah. He has gone up yeah. with each of these indictments. That is, you know, sort of counterintuitive, but we live, the, the world, the political world of Donald Trump has been upside down from the very beginning. What people at this table might think, well, history says that will hurt him. Forget history. It tends to help him. Uh, you had a debate last night where, did anybody on that stage last night make gains against Donald Trump? They were debating as if, like, if we all thought we were going to be the Republican nominee and we were debating among ourselves, right, instead of focusing more on him. And so will there be a point, when, when did this conversation start? Is there going to be a day or a thing that opens the trap door for Donald Trump? Maybe. Uh, but I think people who've put that money on the table have lost. Every time so far you've placed that bet, yeah. you have lost. I mean, how many people said the Access Hollywood tape was going to be that point? That's way back, right? Yeah. And how many things Eight have years. happened since? It's aging yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah. So, Ellie, help us understand the, the news that happened. Uh, we just reported a moment ago. A lawyer swap for Trump. Drew Findling out. Stephen Sadow in. Yeah, so... It's a smart move, first of all. You need a local lawyer. This case is going to play out in Georgia. It's smart to get someone who knows the court system and who really, frankly, can relate to the jury. Juries do look for that. They can sense, is this person from here? Is this someone we are going to inherently believe? That's a factor. Donald Trump does have to make sure, though, now he now has four pending cases. He's got to get his legal team in order. You can't just shuffle in and out lead lawyers on each case sort of on a whim. The way, you know, some White House staff were shuffled in and out on a whim. This is different because... Those lawyers are going to spend hundreds, thousands of hours getting to know all the nuances of this case. And if you just cashier one defense lawyer after another, you're setting yourself up for a major failure. So if I was advising him on all of these, I would say pick your lead guy on each of these cases, stick with him, let him do his job. John Miller, to, to you, I think one thing that's interesting is that Trump's going to be the focus today, but Mark Meadows, his chief of staff, has to turn himself in because... A judge said, no, 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 you're not special and you don't get special treatment here. And same with the DOJ official, Jeffrey Clark. So we're going to see it. We're going to have a very interesting day. We've had a few interesting days watching as the parade of co-defendants uh, have come through. Um, some people just go in, go out um, unseen um, as much as they can be. You know, what we saw with Rudy Giuliani yesterday was, you know, he came out, he did his defiant press conference. Um, and then got back on a, on a private plane. What's going to be interesting today with uh, Mark Meadows, I think we'll see the low-profile um, approach uh, when that happens. But Donald Trump is going to be the critical one today because when he goes in there, we're in the face of a judge's admonishment about making statements that could be considered threatening to witnesses, yeah. co-defendants, and so on, which is a habit of his. Uh, they're talking about whether to have a press pool in the motorcade going to the jail, talking about doing a statement at the airport on the way back. Um, so the question today will be, is there a shift in tone? Um, is there an adjustment in his rhetoric based on the judge's order and the urging of his lawyers? Uh, which Donald Trump will we see today? Yeah. Instead, we're going to go into this with uh, potentially a mugshot coming out of it. And both sides are going to hold that up to show to their supporters. It will be on T-shirts of uh, the MAGA supporters, of those who support Such Democrats. And we are on a day where an American president gets yeah. a mugshot and everybody's going to use it as a meme. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's without question. I think that's kind of speaks to the uniqueness of this moment. But for that kind of MAGA base, this has been they've been careening toward this moment. I remember after the first indictment, I was outside the courthouse here in New York City, and Trump supporters were expecting three to four indictments. They were expecting it to help him rise in the polls. I mean, look back to the debate last night. One of the things those candidates agree on 
is the weaponization of the DOJ being a kind of calling card for this version of the GOP. It's become a rallying cry for base Republicans. And I think that mugshot, I think that photo, I think this case specifically will continue in that vein. To John's point, we have seen over and over and over kind of base Republicans rally around him. Even the ones who think that he might not be the best candidate for the future will say, I don't think these things should go on. I mean, that is the kind of way it's been ingrained in the Republican base here. And so the stakes of this, both legally and politically, couldn't be higher because it actually fuels the, the reason Donald Trump uh, feels like he can get back to the White House. The political strategy is the legal strategy. Yeah, again, another historic day. To, to Estet's point, the, the polarization and the intensification of the polarization, that worries me as a prosecutor. Because mm -hmm. if you have people feeling stronger and stronger both ways, right? Mm -hmm. Half the country is going to say, look at this mugshot, what a criminal. Half of them is going to say, he's a martyr. That's your jury pool, yeah. ultimately. And you get one person who's moved by that image the wrong way, that's a tough break for a prosecutor. All right, gentlemen, but to John's point about, yeah. you know, the polls going up, the money comes in every time one of these things happen. Do you think Ron DeSantis is calling the head of the Florida State Police saying, like, can I get a mugshot, like, <laughs> without getting arrested? You know, something for marketing. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Thank you for that. All right, guys, stay with us. The candidates on the debate stage, they got a chance to weigh in on whether they agreed that former Vice President Mike Pence put the American people and the Constitution first on the day of the attack of the U.S. Capitol. I think the American people deserve to know whether everyone on this stage agrees that I kept my oath to the Constitution that day. There's no more important duty. So answer the question. Former Vice President Mike Pence joins us next. More CNN This Morning to come after the break. I just want to respond to Mike for one second because he invoked me back. Listen, now that everybody's gotten their memorized, pre-prepared slogans out of the way, we can actually have a real discussion now. The, the, the reality and the fact of the matter is... Was that one of yours? Uh, not, not really, Mike, actually. Yeah. We're just going to have some fun tonight. Some tense moments on the stage during last night's first GOP debate, including that back and forth between Mike Pence and Vivek Ramaswamy and the former vice president pulling no punches as he hopes to boost his poll numbers out of the single digits. And the former vice president, Mike Pence, joins me now. Sir, good to have you. I I'm going to assume you think you did well. Thanks Do you for having think me you did well enough to break out of this pack and get into double digits? Well, we've been encouraged by the response. And frankly, I, I, was, uh, uh, I was really honored to be on that stage, uh, to be able to talk about the fact that I really believe with all humility based upon my years as a leader in the Congress, my years leading the state of Indiana as governor, uh, and, and my years, I think, as the leading conservative in the Trump-Pence administration, that I, I'm the most qualified, the most tested, the most proven conservative in this race, uh, and the opportunity to take that case to the American people uh, and to have an energetic uh, debate with others on the stage was something that I relished and, uh, and I'm grateful for. Energetic is one way to uh, describe what happened. You mixed it up with uh, Vivek Ramaswamy. I want to play a bit of your criticism uh, of him and then ask about it on the other side. Now is not the time for on-the-job training. We don't need to bring in a rookie. We don't need to bring in people without experience. You say he's a rookie, on-the-job uh, uh, training. Your last boss was a rookie. He had uh, on-the-job training, a businessman who had never been elected, who had no foreign policy experience. Why is it disqualifying for Vivek, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy and not for Donald Trump in 2016? Well, I think it's uh, 
We live in at a different time. I mean, uh, President Joe Biden has weakened this country at home and abroad. The disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan has emboldened the enemies of freedom. We have war raging in Eastern Europe. China continues to menace in the Asia Pacific. And here at home, the runaway spending under the Biden administration launched the worst inflation in 40 years. Their war on energy has gasoline prices still up 60 percent. Their open borders policies created the worst border crisis in history. And I just wanted people to understand that I believe this is a time for proven and experienced leadership in Washington, D.C. I know how to get things done in Congress. I know the role of states, the vital role that our states play. And I know how an administration works and uh, bringing all that experience to bear. Frankly, it's the reason why my wife and I stepped into this race. Uh, it's because we believe that to whom much is given, much will be required. And we've been blessed with opportunities to serve this country. And we just felt really a duty, Victor, to step forward and offer our experience to meet the challenges following the failed policies of Joe Biden and the Democrats in Washington. Let me play uh, what you told my colleague Dana Bash about uh, the former president uh, who was not on the stage last night, uh, Donald Trump, and uh, if he should be president again. Let's watch. I'm running for president in part because I think anyone who puts themselves over the Constitution should never be president of the United States. Never be president of the United States. However, when you were asked last night if you would vote for former President Trump, even if he's convicted uh, for president, you raised your hand. Reconcile those two. Well, look, every one of us on the stage signed a, a pledge to support the Republican nominee. And uh, uh, frankly, uh, uh, my hand was raised in that spirit, just in, in keeping my word. But uh, I really do believe more after last night uh, that Donald Trump is not going to be the Republican nominee. I know that many of you in the media think this is uh, already a rematch between Trump and Biden. I don't see that. I think last night the American people saw, hopefully, hopefully they got a better sense of me and my role as a leader over the last 20 years. But also I think they got a better sense of, uh, of what a deep bench the Republican Party has uh, and that we have, uh, we have better choices for 2024 for our party. So uh, I I'm more confident than ever. Uh, that our party is going to give us a standard bearer fitted to the time, someone that's going to be able to lead us to victory in 2024. And I'm going to continue to work my heart out to make sure that's me. Let me ask you, uh, a few days ago, Lawrence Tribe and conservative uh, former judge uh, J. Michael Ludig uh, wrote an article for The Atlantic and argued, and here's the quote, the former president's efforts to overturn the 2020 presidential election and the resulting attack on the U.S. Capitol place him squarely within the ambit of a disqualification clause, and he is therefore ineligible to serve as president ever again. We're talking about the 14th Amendment here. You consulted Judge Ludig uh, when you were uh, given the advice by John Eastman and others that you had the power to reject slates on January 6th. Do you agree with his conclusion that because of the president's actions uh, before and on January 6th that he is disqualified from holding presidential the, the office again? Well, I, I really can't comment on, on his, yes, his legal theory. Uh, look, I, I, made it, I made it clear last night that, you know, I hoped it all hadn't come to this. I hope the judgments over the president's action in and around January 6th have been left uh, to the American people. I, I don't know whether, uh, uh, whether the 14th Amendment applies. I'd read an article the other day that uh, 
uh, in, uh, in the Justice Department's uh, pleading. They didn't even reference that kind of a charge. So I, I, I'm, I'm skeptical about that. But look, we'll make sure the president has his presumption of innocence. No one is above the law. But what I welcomed last night, and, and it took a little while for some people, uh, was for every aspirant on that stage to acknowledge that on January 6th, I did my duty under the Constitution of the United States. Frankly, uh, it's, it, for me, over the last two and a half years, uh, to have Donald Trump and his allies continuing to repeat the falsehood that I had the right to reject or return uh, votes, uh, uh, that no vice president in American history had ever claimed or ever should claim uh, I, it has, uh, I, I think it's, it's really misled a great number of Americans. So having all the candidates on the field uh, affirm that, recognize that, uh, because I want people to know that on that fateful day, uh, whatever, the, whatever the process of these various cases uh, will be, uh, is that President Trump asked me to put him over my oath to the Constitution, but I chose the Constitution, and I always will. Our former Vice President Mike Pence, it was a late night. We thank you for waking up early and speaking with us. Thanks so much. Thank you, Victor. Where do we start? First of all, that was a brilliant question on thank you. Rookie. Yeah. And he I didn't mean, answer it. If, if it's disqualifying for Vivek Ramaswamy, Donald Trump, he said, was ready on day one. And a rookie in the same way. In the same way. Which is what's way. so interesting. And then the last question about the 14th Amendment. And this argument from a legal scholar, renowned conservative legal scholar, that Pence relied on on January 6th. Mm -hmm. He kind of sidestepped that. There were that. both textbook examples of how these candidates feel like they are put in a straitjacket by the fact that they don't like Donald Trump. They don't believe Donald Trump should be president again. Uh, and many of them don't back here think he's eligible to be president again. But the only way they improve their numbers are to draw supporters away from Donald Trump, and they don't want to insult and challenge those voters. Mm -hmm. And so the, the vice president just said there, again, Donald Trump asked me to break the law, and I wouldn't do it. Right? He doesn't say it that plainly, but that's, if you translate, that's what he's saying. Donald Trump asked me to break the law and break my oath, and I refuse to do it. But then he won't say, this man should, be, he should not be allowed near the White House, let alone through the gates and into the White House again. He won't say that part, because to, his only chance is Iowa. Ten years ago, he's a textbook Iowa candidate, Midwestern governor, Midwestern congressman, evangelical Christian, a textbook Iowa candidate. But the party has changed so much with Donald Trump as its leader. They are afraid. They, th they, they, they need those votes. And, and all of these candidates are wrestling with how do I convince these voters who are loyal to Donald Trump? Give it up. The problem with being branded as anti-Trump is it puts you at a political ceiling in this Republican kind of electorate. And so, yeah, there's a question of can he break out to get to a double digits to be a kind of alternative. But if you are someone who is branded as against the Trump movement and for, uh, and for lack of facts, that January 6th moment has set in for 30, 40 percent of that electorate. That causes a kind of uh, electoral ceiling and makes it a lot harder to cobble together a coalition. I think Pence did himself a lot of favors last night. He did his legacy favors, did his kind of message favors, that kind of clarity of voice is helpful. The clarity of voice, though, is at odds with the motivating factor of the of the of a large section of the Republican base. And so you have someone like Ramaswamy with all of that inexperience is still speaking in the language mm -hmm. of that base. When I am out on the road, when you talk to those Trump supporters, they sound a lot more like Vivek Ramaswamy than they do like Mike Pence. That's right. I, I just cannot make sense of, of Mike Pence. I didn't mean for that to rhyme. But I can't understand. This is a guy who stood strong on January 6th, did the right thing against so much pressure that was being applied to him. And now he's saying, even if Donald Trump's convicted, I would still support him. I mean, Mike Pence is a victim in that case. They were chanting to hang Mike Pence. The court will consider Mike Pence 
a victim if it comes time for sentencing. But I, I guess I do get it now because our political experts make perfect sense of why he's trying to thread this impossible needle. And he's walking this impossible line. One of the most gracious people in politics, we saw some of that last night. You know, I briefed him on terrorism matters when he came to New York uh, and I was at the NYPD. But when you look at this impossible line, he starts off with these indictments by saying, no one is above the law, but Donald Trump shouldn't have been indicted. Uh, he last night was saying, you know, uh, pushing back against Trump, but then taking credit for the Trump-Pence administration accomplishments. Um, as, as you said, he's trying to thread a needle where you're going to end up getting stuck at some point. Really interesting. Yeah. Gentlemen, thank you. Guys, so one of the moderators of last night's debate called former President Trump the elephant not in the room. Remember, Brett Baer said that. Did any of the candidates do enough to cut into Trump's strong support? We're going to be joined next by Republican Governor of New Hampshire, Chris Sununu. We have to face the fact that Trump is the most disliked politician in America. We can't win a general election that way. If former President Trump is convicted in a court of law, would you still support him as your party's choice? Please raise your hand if you would. Just hold on. As you saw there, most of the Republican candidates on that stage in the debate in Milwaukee last night vowing to support President Trump even if he's a convicted felon. Despite Trump's absence, there was no way for his Republican rivals to ignore that strong support, despite the legal troubles. Our Stephen Collinson writes overnight, quote, the melee in Milwaukee was like a prize fight that lacked the reigning champion. At best, the debate turned into an audition for second place in a race that on the current trajectory looks, like, looks likely to catapult Trump to his third consecutive Republican nomination. But did any of the candidates do anything last night to even slow him down? Let's see what New Hampshire's Republican Governor Chris Sununu thinks. He joins us at the table. Good morning. Good morning. Would you have raised your hand to that question? Well, look, I think the what we saw last night was the Republican Party without Donald Trump. First time in six years, I know, but I the Republican you, voter. Governor, would yeah. you raise your hand? No, uh, look, he's not going to be the nominee. I mean, that's that's Why the most that's the biggest this question because, directly because it's an 18 month away. What's going to happen with the indictments with Trump, with Biden? I don't I've told you, I don't think either of them are going to be on the ticket. I know you do. I don't think yeah, I think Biden is less likely to be on the ticket than even Trump. But what you saw, Trump's in trouble. And I'll tell you why. I heard a lot of people say Trump won last night. Not even close. Hmm. For the first time, we went from 13 candidates down to eight, eight or nine last night. So we starting to winnow the field. He wasn't mentioned. I guarantee you that drove him nuts. Um, he. Again, to, if it had been flat, if they all came out and didn't say a whole lot, Trump would have won. Um, anyone's looking for a clear front runner with eight people on stage, that wasn't going to happen anyways. But what you saw was three, four, five candidates really show some energy, show a future of the party without Trump, and people liked it. Yeah, but the person who, at least according to our focus group, thought uh, won the debate was Vivek Ramaswamy, and essentially he was defending Trump calling him the yeah. best president of the 21st century, that he would pardon him. So what gives you the confidence that anything is going to change? You've got these eight who are mm -hmm. huddled around, you know, anywhere from a one to 15 mm -hmm. points and Trump above 50. Because it won't be eight for very long. It'll winnow down to five or six, uh, at least definitely before you get to Iowa, and I think three or four before New Hampshire. And one-on-one, -on -one, remember, Trump's ceiling is about 47, 48 percent at most. In Iowa, New Hampshire, he's at 42, 43 percent. So where the conversation is happening, 
Trump's in trouble. But, and last night, the conversation started to happen across but the But this country. sounds like everything that was said in 2016, and it never collapsed, it sounds like everything that was said after the first indictment, and the second indictment, and the third indictment, and still none of it's come to fruition. The indictments won't matter with the Republican base. It's just not going to. What's going to matter is, oh, wait, we have options. I think Nikki Haley made a great point. I mean, she showed some fire. Pence showed some fire, really sparked yeah. up uh, their campaigns. That was I really interesting, well. yeah. the, the, just the Pence tone to me. Yeah, it was something we hadn't seen before. And those campaigns have been a little quiet for a while, and people went, wow, there's, there's energy here. Vivek, won, Vivek didn't win the debate, but uh, he's being talked about. Mm-hmm. That's what you want after a debate. He didn't fall apart. Um, and he was fairly unknown, and now people are, are actually taking a look. So he did what he needed to do, and DeSantis did very well. You think no so? No one attacked him. Yeah, no one attacked him. So he got to look right in the camera, make a strong case, do exactly what he needed to do. He, he uh, I think, shored up his conservative credentials, if you will. He looked presidential. But what changes the narrative? Because if you look at the two who split center, DeSantis's campaign is on the dissent. At least it has been for several months in the polling. And you look at Vivek Ramaswamy, he's going the opposite direction. Did DeSantis do anything to change the trajectory? Oh, yeah. So, look, I think, I think DeSantis has been, the campaign's been a little quiet. It's been shifting, as it should, right? As you get into debate mode, as you hit the ground in Iowa, New Hampshire, your campaign is going to change a little bit. Uh, Vivek's kind of the new name. You know, what, what is this all about? That gets people excited. But I think, I think Governor DeSantis did a very good job reaffirming uh, where his, why is, he was so popular, you know, a, a little bit ago. What can come back and the opportunity for a Republican Party without Trump. And I think a lot of people went, oh, yeah, we got great options here. There's a real bench here. Now, I think uh, Asa and, and Doug Burgum, I love them. I think they're wonderful. I think they should have interjected. Even Tim Scott should have interjected themselves mm-hmm. in the conversation a little more. But remember, no one had more than 12 minutes over two hours to speak. Yeah. So you're not yeah. going to get a clear front runner, but you got energy. You got a little back and forth. That's what we you did to get say. energy. And I, I was glad there were a lot of policy questions there. Um, you made everyone talk a few days ago with this New York Times op ed. You're writing about folks got to get out earlier yeah. than they might want to get out. Who should the next debate is September 27th. Yeah. Should Doug Burgum, Governor Burgum, Governor Hutchinson, for example, be on that stage? Oh, yeah, sure. No, if, if they qualify, they should absolutely be there. I think the next uh, winnowing, if you will, will be around Thanksgiving, right? If you're still in the low single digits, if anyone is still there around Thanksgiving, you, you probably have to go. That gets it down to five or six candidates by Iowa. A few, few will do well in Iowa, a few won't. And that gets to three or four by New Hampshire. And you get again, you get to one-on-one, Trump's in trouble. So Trump saw the field narrow for the first time. He saw real options for the Republican Party that weren't led by him for the first time. Mm-hmm. If I'm Donald Trump, I'm not, I'm not thrilled. We just had Chris Christie on, and he's very bullish on his prospects in your state, New Hampshire. Do you think Chris Christie takes New Hampshire? Uh, he could, Chris is morning. putting everything into New Hampshire. Um, again, I, I think Chris, he hammers Trump hard, which I'm not going to complain about. I think all the candidates, this is the opportunity to go a little bigger, right? Vivek, for example, he's very uh, anti-woke. Go bigger. Talk about your, your business background. If you're on the more social conservative side, talk about fiscal discipline and limited government and how you're going to get there. Don't talk about the problems. Talk about the solutions. Okay. We're out of time, so they tell me in my ear. <laughs> Thank you, Governor Thank Sununu. You, Appreciate you. it. Two months after leading a failed mutiny against Russia, Wagner chief Yevgeny Prigozhin presumed dead in a plane crash. What Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky is saying this morning. And we're following a mass shooting at a popular biker bar in Orange County, California. At least three people are dead, six injured. Police say the suspected shooter was also killed. A source tells CNN the suspect was a former law enforcement officer. So far, no details on a motive. 
This is just coming in to CNN. President Zelensky says that Ukraine had nothing to do with the plane crash involving Wagner chief Yevgeny Prigozhin. He's now presumed dead. Uh, the Kremlin has not issued a comment since the crash. But of course, this comes just two months after Prigozhin led a failed revolt against Vladimir Putin. Russia state media says that some of Prigozhin's top lieutenants who helped create the brutal private military group were also on board. Joining us now is former CIA chief of Russia operations, Steve Hall. Steve, uh, good morning to you. Uh, do you have any question based on what we know? And of course, there is a Russia investigation that's coming uh, that this is Putin's doing. You know, Victor, I just don't see that there's really anybody else uh, who, you know, realistically uh, would have had a great interest in this. I am curious to see what, how the Kremlin is going to spin it. And I think it's interesting that really in the 24-hour uh, sort of cycle since this has happened, we have not heard anything definitive. Uh, all we saw was Putin uh, making a speech at the, uh, you know, at the BRICS uh, conference remotely. Uh, so it's interesting that they're keeping sort of a heads-down approach right now, of course, under the, the theory, uh, which is nothing more than theory, uh, that there's some sort of investigation going on. If there's any investigation going on in Russia, it's very strongly and, and directly controlled uh, by the Kremlin. So it'll be interesting to see how they spin this. It looks like Zelensky has already taken away from them one possible option, which is to say that the Ukrainians did it. Uh, but I think they'll come up with some other things just so that they have some deniability. Steve, Prigozhin was presumed dead by most folks in 2019, and he was very much alive. Is there reason to believe that couldn't be the case this time? Will we have a definitive answer on that ever if it's only Russia investigating? I, the short answer is if it's only Russian, Russia investigating, which it almost will certainly be in these circumstances, I don't think we'll ever truly know. So are, are there some sort of weird stories out there where perhaps his death was for some reason faked and he's, you know, been spirited off someplace? I mean, yeah, that's that's possible. Um, but I think it's much more likely uh, that what happened was is that Putin just decided to wait two months before resolving this problem of, you know, one of his senior guys essentially uh, conducting a mutiny, which could have turned into a coup. I think it's much more likely that Putin decided, yeah, we need to move that piece off the chessboard and we just needed to wait a bit to do it. Do these reported deaths and this video that we're looking at now of a fiery crash, uh, do those end any of the uh, residual impacts or, or a bit of vulnerability that uh, Putin faced with Prigozhin living his life for months after that? Or is there some of that still out there? You know, it, it mitigates it. I think it makes it a little bit less if you if if Putin has essentially removed uh, Prigozhin from the from the playing field. But the, there's no doubt in my mind that the regime is much more brittle uh, than it that it really has ever been in the past uh, 20 years. I mean, the idea that Prigozhin could have done what he did to begin with uh, is it shows a significant chink uh, in in Putin's armor, uh, one that I don't think has been healed yet. And I think right now what's happening is is the elites are looking at Putin and saying how. How much weakness are we willing to tolerate? And is something like this going to happen again? And if that's possible, how do we make sure that that doesn't happen again? So, I, yeah, Putin's in a much worse situation, regardless as to whether or not Prigozhin is still alive. Steve Hall, former CIA chief of Russia operations with really important perspective. Thanks very much. So last night, eight Republican candidates took the debate stage trying to narrow that very large gap between all of them and former President Trump. Did it resonate with voters? Harry Anton is here with the debate's most searched moments. 
Firefighters in Greece, look at this. They're racing to contain more than 200 wildfires that have been breaking out since Monday, including nearly 100 in the last 24 hours. CNN's Eleni Jakos has been covering this story. This is what is left of one of the most beautiful hiking trails in Greece. I'm in Parnitha. This is known as the Lungs of Athens, now burnt to the ground. Here's what I want to ask you about. Who you thought did the best during this debate? Basically, who do you think won the debate? How about Ron DeSantis? How many of you think Ron DeSantis did the best? That's two people. How about Nikki Haley? One, two, three, four people. Ramaswamy? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. That was CNN's Gary Tuckman talking to some Republican voters in Iowa, most of them agreeing that Vivek Ramaswamy won the debate last night. He's a political newcomer, stealing a lot of the spotlight from more experienced White House hopefuls. But were any of them the most Googled moment of the debate? Joining us now, CNN senior data reporter Harry Anton. What? to define. Oh, what to define. All right, so perhaps it shouldn't be so surprising. The number one moment came early on in the debate, and it was this one. Who the heck is this skinny guy with a funny last name, and what the heck is he doing in the middle of this debate stage? I'll tell you, I'm not a politician, Brett. You're right about that. I'm an entrepreneur. My parents came to this country with no money 40 years ago. I have gone on to found multi-billion dollar companies. I did it while marrying my wife, Apoorva raising our two sons, following our faith in God. That is the American dream. Yeah, I mean, look, it wasn't so much of a surprise if you were watching that debate. This gentleman right down here, Ramaswamy, was the, basically the shine light. Everything seemed to revolve around him, and it shouldn't be too much of a surprise given, look where he was in February. He was at just 0% of the vote. He wasn't even asked in the Fox News poll. Look where he is now at 11%, right on Ron DeSantis's heels for second place. Look, Trump is still well ahead. But the fact is, Ramaswamy now a clear third place. And I think that is why there was so much of that spotlight on him last night. Yeah, that was also uh, after the moment between Ramaswamy and uh, former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley. Let's uh, watch this exchange. Look at what Putin did today. He killed Pergozin. When I was at the U.N., the Russian ambassador suddenly died. This guy is a murderer. And you are choosing a murderer over, over a pro-American country. I wish you well in your future career on the boards of Lockheed and Raytheon. You know, I'm not on but the, boards the fact of, of the matter, and Raytheon, and you know, Boeing you came off of it, but you've been pushing this lie. You've been pushing this lie all week. There were a lot of really passionate responses about uh, aid for Ukraine, dividing line for the party. Absolutely right. And, you know, when we look at this number right here, you see this 11%. The other thing you should keep in mind is that a lot of Republican voters don't know who Vivek Ramaswamy is. In fact, 50%. 50% can't actually hold, don't actually hold an opinion on him at this point. So the fact is the other candidates feel like, you know what, I want to potentially knock him down now when there are a lot of people who don't know who he is. They want them to form new opinions of him or opinions that haven't even held before. And if you look right here, you know, you talk about Ukraine and foreign policy and how much is that dividing the party right now? How much is the U.S. doing to help Ukraine? This is among Republicans. The majority, 55%, say too much. But you see here this about right, 23%, too little, 17%. That is very, very close to that 55%. It's basically this very clear dividing line in the party about USA to Ukraine. And then here, the Republicans, U.S. should play a major or leading role in world affairs. 
we see still the majority, 61% of Republicans say yes. That's down from 87% 20 years ago, but still the majority of the Republicans say yes. And that's what Nikki Haley was going after Ramaswamy on last night. Yeah, that's true. But Vivek's position on Ukraine funding is in line with the majority of Republican <clears throat> voters right now, which is interesting. Yeah. Thank Snellis. you. Thanks. Thank you. Appreciate it. Today, former President Trump is expected to surrender for the fourth time in five months, this time on charges related to his role in trying to overturn the 2020 election in Georgia. Our coverage of this historic day continues just ahead. On CNN this morning, earlier this summer, David Culver reported on rescue efforts in Southern California after a toxic algae outbreak was harming marine life. The fish in the area were eating the algae, which would travel up the food chain to dolphins and then to sea lions. And officials said they were receiving more than a thousand calls about hundreds of dead or sick mammals on the shores. But now we have some good news. Some of those sea lions are finally returning to the ocean. You can see two of them here. Uh, there are still more than 50, those sea lions at the Marine Mammal Care. Go on, sea lions. Uh, Center, they are waiting to be released once they are healthy again. This is the culmination of a lot of work, a lot of hours, a lot of sad days, a lot of um, uh, just distrustful animals that we see on the beaches. But when we witness these moments, it, it sort of makes it all worthwhile and, and uh, helps us celebrate the work that we're doing, celebrate the support from the community that made it all possible and um, sort of fill up with the warm fuzzies. Love this so much. This is an animal story that I love. I don't love all animals. Yeah, stories. that's true. Neither this do is I. an animal this story. This is a good one. Oh, neither do you. Speaking of sea lions, remember this? Oh, yeah, I do love the beach and I like a nice nap on the beach. Sometimes, though, uh, there are just too many people. And maybe that's what set off these two sea lions on a beach near San Diego. Oh, my God. I just imagine the little sea lion voices cursing these people out and chasing them off the beach. You got the news you're just cursing these people out trying to swim. You'd think the ocean would be big enough for all of us, but no. Oh, no. man, that's what I knew. Cursing oh, sea lions? That video still gets me. But when that's going to live with you. Like these like sea lions, like the people are in the way. Oh, my gosh. It gets me every time. Victor moments we will always remember. Cursing sea lions. Oh. And you with the former vice president today. Yes, you can answer oh, that. Oh, yes, you can. Yes, you can. Uh, Come see, back tomorrow? Yeah, I'll be here tomorrow. One more day. One more day. You'll have me? I'm grateful for you. All right, let's do it. CNN News Central is now. That is it for this episode of CNN This Morning. You can check out our lineup of podcasts and showcasts at cnn.com slash audio or in your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening. We all do things our own way. And since the way that each of us sleeps is unique, you need a bed that fits you just the right way. Sleep Number Smart Beds make your sleep experience as individual as you are, using cutting-edge technology to give you effortless, high-quality sleep every night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $15.99. Save $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.